Are you ready? This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's going on, folks? My Take Radio, episode 56 for Thursday, August 19th, 2010. The intro music you just heard was The Omen of Geneva, and the artist is Neko Frog One. You can get that and any of the other music that, we'd u- that we've used in previous episodes at ocremix.org. The letter O, the letter C, remix.org. The caller number is 347 324 3541. Again, that number, 347-324-3541, to call into the show and discuss any of tonight's topics. First off, of course, got to start off some housekeeping. Um, last week, I discussed the uh, hate mail I had gotten from uh, Mr. or Ms. CJ, and I can tell you that there is some information leading towards who it may be and where it may have came from. Um, I'm hearing G4 references. How legit that is, no idea. Um, Like I said, I responded. I didn't get a response back that the person's email disappeared or didn't exist, so the person obviously got my response. We'll wait and see what happens in regards to that. Who knows? They may call in during this week's episode, next week's episode, or within the next few weeks. We'll see how it pans out. Nonetheless, I take... I take my hate in stride. It just shows that people are listening and um, they're actually reacting to the things that are said on the show, which is always good. Sometimes good or bad publicity is, is, is good overall just because it gets your name out there, and that's what it's all about right now, just trying to get My Take Radio out to a larger audience. And with that being said, of course, the last month's download count broke over 1,000. We're already at 600 downloads. For the month of August, there's still two weeks left, which is, of course, very good to hear. And with that said, we'll probably break 1,000 again. Uh, In going a little deeper into the numbers, I found out that we have listeners in Australia, Hong Kong, the U.K., and for some reason there's huge concentrations of listeners downloading shows from Texas and from Chicago. So, you know, welcome to all the Texas and Chi-Town peeps that are supporting the show and, of course, to all the international listeners, um, especially in Hong Kong. I really want to know how the show's being listened to in Hong Kong, uh, considering that we broadcast in English. But we'll see how it pans out. Maybe we'll get a little bit more interaction from those new listeners um, from the international side of things. Um, the ads, of course, uh, for My Take Radio 3.0 is currently under construction Staff members have already started to see how it's looking. Slick and Ant actually had a conference call with me the day before yesterday, and we got to discuss some of the stuff for the site. Um, It's really coming along quite well. I'm not rushing the process now, uh, basically because Blaine is putting in a lot of work, and it's coming along 
fucking phenomenal. When it's done, you guys are going to be hopefully very impressed with the way it looks. I personally like the way it's looking. The new forum, it's going to be smoother. It's going to be faster. It's going to allow a lot more diversity than the current forum, which kind of has fallen by the wayside. I haven't been in there as much just because, you know, the real job has been kicking my ass lately. But the, the forum is still active. The Facebook fan page seems to be a lot more active than the forum just because, like I always say, people tend to be on Facebook a lot. So at that, you know, at that rate, I'll try and interact more on the Facebook side of things just because so many people are on Facebook, and it's been doing well so far. We're at 280 fans, hopefully 300 fans by the end of the month if you guys keep spreading the word. So it's coming along well. The donation button, you know what it's there for. I don't plug it too much just because, you know, we're in a fucking recession and times are hard, but trying to run the site and not um, having any sort of a tangible product it kind of gets a little tough. But nonetheless, you guys see the donation button on the site. You guys know the deal. Um, now I want to talk about something totally non-show related, a little bit real world, and I wanted to share it with you guys. For those of you that know me off air, you guys know that you know my mother died from breast cancer uh, 10 years ago. As a result of her passing, you know I became the guardian for my two sisters who are both handicapped. Uh, my oldest sister with autism, my youngest sister has MR, and, you know, I'm just continuing my mom's work, and as a result of that, after she passed, I kind of had a really huge vendetta against the whole charity for cancer deal and the awareness deal just because, you know, I, got, I was angry at the fact that people became aware of cancer after shit got real, and with that said, um, my fiance actually is doing something very special. She's actually going to be doing the Making Strides Against Breast Cancer walk, um, and she's going to be doing it in memory of my mother. So, you know, it's, a, it's really close to me, and I appreciate that. Nonetheless, um, she is trying to get sponsorship for the walk, and she has a page set up, which I'm going to share the URL with you guys, um, probably on the site as well as on the Facebook fan page and on my personal Facebook page just because it's something that's very close to me. And I've kind of turned the corner and come to the realization that nobody else should have to go through the shit I go through. And if people can become more aware of breast cancer and kids don't have to lose their moms or their sisters or their aunts or their grandmothers, then fuck it. You know, I may as well get my shit together and support a worthy cause. So if you get a chance and you want to contribute to that, I will be posting the link in the fan page as well as on the site and on my personal page. So, again, if you guys want to do something charitable, you can donate as little as five bucks towards the cause. Um, her company will be matching every donation. So, again, just to help out and try and make sure that people don't end up as fucked up as I have. So we'll see what happens with that. Nonetheless, with that said and all the real-world stuff out of the way, Let's get into some business. Tonight, hopefully, I should be having Trina from GamingAngels.com calling in. She wants to discuss a little bit of MMA stuff. We're also going to discuss a little bit of Gamescom stuff. The only reason I'm not going to go too crazy with the Gamecom stuff is only because so much of it is more um, video-based, and that kind of stuff needs to just appear on the site via trailers. Slick has done a kick-ass job of putting up so many of the trailers from the Gamescom conference. So definitely props to him for that, carrying the torch as I just physically take a beating 
But nonetheless, there will be new content posted up in relation to that, as well as some new movie stuff within the coming days. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, I'm also going to break down a little bit of the WWE SummerSlam pay-per-view, which saw a couple of interesting events and a lot of formulaic bullshit as well. A little bit about Monday Night Raw, a shitload of X-Men casting news because there's a lot of crazy shit happening there. Um, I actually want to discuss something in the gaming segment that Ant brought to my attention in regards to Mafia 2 and the fallout from you know, uh, an association that represents Italian-Americans and the depiction of the characters in Mafia 2. I definitely want Ant to call in for that because he will elaborate on that and put, give us his take on it, and of course we'll discuss it in detail. In addition to that, just a little bit of EA stuff with, M, with you know, the new EA MMA game, some Bioware news. We're also going to talk about Windows 7 games, you know, the Xbox Live appearance on the Windows 7 platform, a little bit of iPad stuff because there's got to be a little bit of that in regards to gaming. Um, gamer dating, you guys won't believe what I, got, what I found out that will blow your minds in regards to that. We're also going to see the return of a Looney Tunes character to the silver screen. Um, you guys are going to be tripped out when I tell you who it is and what they plan to do. Some Judge Dredd news, definitely we're going to talk a little bit about that. Box office totals, because I know for sure that you guys, um, especially the hardcore Scott Pilgrim fans, were definitely upset with the turnout, so I definitely want to talk about that for sure. And your usual uh, rage-filled movie news will be definitely prevalent this episode. But with that said, let's talk a little bit of MMA first. Last night, I actually had the opportunity to watch the WEC 50 pay-per-view. Well, not the, it wasn't a pay-per-view. It was on the Versus Network. The main event was um, Benavides and Dominic Cruz. Uh, Dominic Cruz, of course, is the bantamweight champion. Joseph Benavides um, was the challenger for the card. Let me tell you something about WEC. For those of you not aware, WEC is an extension of the UFC. It has a lot of the lighter weight classes. It has a huge assortment of talent. There's guys in the 135-pound class, um, 145ers. They're just fucking animals. So I, I got to tell you, if you have the Versus Network, definitely take an opportunity. It's free, you know, if you have it, you don't got to pay no pay-per-view money. Check out some of the WEC's offerings because they got great fighters. Um, I'm just going to run through the card really quick. Um, Zach Mickelwright versus Bart Polshevsky, great fight. Ended up really... Bart dominating in the first round. In the second round, Zach came out trying to do some, trying to do some damage with the body kick. He ended up eating a, a nice, smooth punch from, from Bart, got knocked to the ground. It ended up being taken out by TKO in round two. Uh, definitely a really fast fight. Pawshevsky, you know, 33 and 13 came in there. He was fighting a guy who was 9-1. and one. I had a feeling that he was going to get mauled. I just didn't think it would be that fast. Uh, bantamweight bout with Scott Jorgensen and Brad Pickett. Uh, Jorgensen ended up winning by unanimous decision. I'm a huge Scott Jorgensen fan. I like watching him fight. He's very exciting to watch. He has a diverse um, style of attack, which I enjoy. It, it, just a, a huge assortment of, of elbows and kicks coming out of him. It's, it's not so much one-dimensional in terms of just one-sided stand-up. There was definitely some back and forth. Pickett taking the first. It, I definitely kind of took it even in the second. It could have gone either way in Jorgensen with the third round. Um, the featherweight bout with Chad Mendes and Cub Swanson, 
Again, I, I was really expecting Swanson to take it. I was surprised that Mendes ended up winning by unanimous decision. But, hey, the, it was an exciting fight. But one of the fights that blew my mind was Anthony Pettis versus uh, Shane Roller. It was a, a ridiculous fight from start to finish. It ended up being um, Anthony Pettis taking it with a submission. He ended up catching him in a uh, guillotine. It was, it was a uh, – actually, he got him with a triangle. Sorry, not a guillotine. It was – disgusting. Dude ended up tapping with nine seconds left in the third round. It was fantastic. Not only that, but of course there's, there's rumblings that Anthony Pettis is going into title contention based on his victory. So overall solid from start to finish. And the main event, uh, the bantamweight champion Dominic Cruz was defending against Joseph Benavides. Um, even though Cruz won, he couldn't finish Benavides. It ended up being by decision. I was very impressed, though. Benavides is a beast. And I, and I honestly thought he had won the fight by decision, but Cruz ended up retaining. It was a 50-45 uh, via split decision. It was 48-47 Benavides, 48-47 Cruz, and 49-46 Cruz. Overall, WEC delivers with a great card on the Versus Network. And like I said, if you haven't checked it out, I recommend you do for sure. Um, what is this? Uh, the call-in line is down. Oh, that's great. That is fantastic that the call-in line is down. Great. Something tells me that things are going to be extra interesting now that the call-in line is down, but we'll see how it pans out. In some other MMA news, Roger Huerta was announced as being the replacement for Pat Curran against Eddie Alvarez at Bellator 33. Um, Bellator 33 is supposed to be taking place October 21st in Kansas City but it may be moved to a venue near Eddie Alvarez's Philadelphia home. Uh, Fabricio Verdun, for those of you that don't know, was the guy who beat Fedor. He actually handed Fedor his first loss in strike force. Seems that he will be undergoing elbow surgery. Actually, he underwent elbow surgery on the 18th, and he's going to be out for six weeks. He expects to be back fighting in early 2011. Of course, this raises a couple of questions now. What happens with Alistair Overeem since Verdun was going to be his challenger? Does Overeem wait? Do you put Fedor in there? Or do you, have, um, do you just wait and give Overeem a fight with Verdun later on in 2011? I mean, Overeem's only fought once in strike force. The heavyweight division is starting to really take shape in that promotion. It's really unfortunate that he's out but it kind of puts a stop on the momentum of the heavyweight division. So I really hope that Strikeforce comes up with something, maybe um, giving Fedor the opportunity as a non-title fight something, because no heavyweight action for a while is going to definitely be an issue. In some UFC news, Mirko Krokop is going to be replacing Antonio Rodrigo Nogueira um, in his fight at UFC 119. Nogueira actually got injured and he had a flare-up of a hip injury. So Krokop is going to be taking his place and will be facing Frank Mir. That's going to be for the card on September 25th. So right now the card is shaping up as follows. You've got Krokop and Mir, Ryan Bader, he's going to be fighting uh, Little Nog, Chris Light is going to be fighting Matt Serra, Evan Dunham and Sean Shirk, and Melvin Gillard and Jeremy Stevens on the pay-per-view card. The Spike TV prelimin the preliminary card is going to have C.B. Dalloway and Joe Dirksen and Joey Beltran and Matt Mitrione. Uh, the Beltran-Mitrione fight definitely has my attention. Matt Mitrione definitely impressed me in sending Kimbo Slice on his way. Of course, I like Kimbo Slice as a fighter, so it's unfortunate that it went down the way it went down, but 
Mitriel definitely is showing a, a, a huge amount of improvement in his stand-up, so it should be interesting against the always exciting Joey Beltran. UFC officials also finally announced that UFC 118 is complete. That's going to be August 28th. That is a card that mandatory for me to order. Just because I can't go and see it live in Boston doesn't mean I'm not going to order it, considering that the fights on this card are sick. Frankie Edgar and BJ Penn for the lightweight title. Randy Couture representing MMA will be fighting uh, heavyweight boxer James Lights Out Tony. Uh, Damian Maya is going to be fighting Mario Miranda. Kenny Florian from Boston, of course, fighting Gray Maynard. Rumors that are that the winner of this fight is going to be the next uh, recipient of a lightweight title shot. Marcus Davis and Nate Diaz on the prelims. You got Joe Lazan and Gabe Rudiger. You got Andre Winner on the card. Dan Miller's on the card. Uh, ridiculous. Personally, the Randy Couture and James Tony fight is what I need to see, just because it looks ridiculous. Ridiculous. It can go either way. It can be just uh, ground destruction from Randy Couture or four ounce KO from James Tony. So definitely interesting for sure. Either way. And that's going to wrap up the MMA news. We're going to talk some wrestling right after this quick commercial break. You know those shows where they play video game music and they laugh in like really high voices like... <laughs> well, you won't listen to that on our show because uh, we don't have the budget for that kind of thing. We're broke as hell. And uh, nobody really cares that much to laugh that hard. So um, if you're looking for a show like that that has horrible audio quality and uh, void of fake laughter video game news radio 11 p.m. Tuesday nights on all games all right and we're back let's talk some wrestling first Lance McNaught better known as Lance Cade passed away earlier this week he was 29 years old uh, Lance Cade was one of Shawn Michaels first wrestling students he actually wrestled in WWE with Trevor Murdoch in the tag team collectively known as Cade and Murdoch. Shortly after being split apart from Trevor Murdoch, they, put, they aligned Lance Cade with Chris Jericho for a little bit. That kind of went south. Afterwards, he was released, and he went into rehab due to an addiction to sleeping pills, after which point he kind of disappeared for a little bit, and it was announced that he had passed away. Now, of course, first thing everybody's going to say is suicide, wasn't suicide scenes that he ended up having. I believe it was heart failure. Um, definitely um, something that can be attributed possibly to steroids, possibly to something pre-existing. But once again, this, this continuing um, trend of young wrestlers dying is just getting really out of hand. The guy was 29 years old. He had, I believe, three daughters. Totally unfortunate. It was just ridiculous. And Again, it's just a, another loss and another blow for the wrestling community. Not only that, but it once again shines the spotlight on the WWE and what they're doing in regards to wellness and monitoring their athletes to ensure that they're not addicted to painkillers or they're not battling depression or suicidal thoughts or any of that. Fact is, when Lance Cade was wrestling for the WWE with Trevor Murdoch, great tag team specialist, good wrestler, Definitely when he went into a singles career and they aligned him with Chris Jericho, he started show, showing flashes of brilliance. WWE felt he just wasn't connecting with the fans. They sent them down to the minor leagues for a little bit, to FCW, if I'm correct, after which point he was released again. 
Um, he ended up going to rehab for the sleeping pill addiction, and he was just home with his family. According to what they're saying, his wife saw that he was ill, recommended he go to a hospital. He did. He stayed there for a little bit. He asked to be released. He went home, and, and he died. It's funny, though, because what's, what's been happening is that, of course, Linda McMahon running for Senate, none of this is doing her any favors. And recently, they actually interviewed Chris Nowinski. For those of you that don't know, Chris Nowinski was one of the first uh, athletes from the Tough Enough program. He wrestled for a little bit on Raw, usually under the Harvard gimmick. Uh, really awesome bad guy. His career was cut short because of concussions, and he ended up becoming a leading authority on concussion injuries. And he actually was very vocal in the passing of Chris Benoit and the fact that his brain, you know, the fact that Chris Benoit's brain looked like a fucking raisin when he died um, showed that it was a result of a lot of trauma, a repeated amount of concussions, and he actually was interviewed, one, about the steroid use and also about some other stuff, and he actually just went to town on the WWE, which is strange because he doesn't really speak out on, on them that badly. He usually just acknowledges some of their unsafe practices, but in this particular instance, he really got it in. Um, when asked about steroid use, he said that the WWE rewards guys who use steroids. Um, you know, I have to kind of agree with that, and I'll tell you why. If you look at the trend, it's changed over the last few years, but a majority of the guys that were considered main eventers in the WWE were always jacked-up, juice dudes that were always injury-prone. That, that You know, they were scary to look at, but, again, those were things that you worried about back then. You look at guys, and even in the later years, too, you had guys like Ahmed Johnson. He was fucking jacked out of his mind. British Bulldog. And gradually you go down the list of these, of these huge athletes that were rumored to allegedly be on steroids, and most of them were. Some of them are experiencing health problems. Some of them are dead. But the majority of them have been associated with steroids in some shape, way, or form, and it has negatively impacted their careers. A great example of that is Lex Luger. Lex Luger, of course, wrestled in WCW, WWE. Where is he now? In a wheelchair. The guy suffered a spinal stroke. He, he was all fucked up. You know, he was uh, in a relationship with Miss Elizabeth. She died in his home. Cops investigated. They found growth hormone, steroids, all kinds of shit. It's a really, really, it's a really, really shitty situation. But what's happening is, if you've been watching WWE the last couple of years, they're really going with more smaller regular-looking athletes. You look at guys like Chris Jericho. You look at guys like Edge, The Miz. The only guys that are still borderline, you know, are Batista, John Cena to an extent, um, Triple H, of course. But a lot of these newer athletes just have a more athletic build to them, which is, which is it definitely is a sign that WWE is acknowledging, uh, the, the, you know, that the juiced-up wrestlers aren't, um, they aren't durable. When asked about the unsafe work environment, Chris Nowitzki said the following. They have an environment where it's absolutely unsafe to work in that ring. They have no oversight into what happens in the ring, and they're encouraging steroid use. He said, citing the enormous physiques of recent champions such as Triple H and Batista. It's garbage, and they're not using stuff. They absolutely know what's going on. When asked about painkillers, he said they're taking painkillers because they're working 200 nights a year and getting hit unlike anyone in the history of the wrestling business. It wasn't like in the 80s. It wasn't like in the 70s. I used to go through tables for four days a week. 
he, of course, referenced a particular comment from Linda McMahon regarding the passing of Lance Cade, which, of course, she was asked, and she's running for Senate, and she said, she said that she only met him once, briefly. His response, to the, uh, Chris Nowinski's response to that was that it was complete garbage, and, she's, and he said that she's just kicking dirt on the guy's grave. One thing I got to tell you, Linda McMahon is not going to acknowledge a fucking thing regarding anything negative about the wrestling business because considering that she's so closely affiliated with it and it can be a really huge detriment to her political aspirations, she's not going to acknowledge shit. She probably met Lance Cade when he went to pick up his paycheck, you know, three, four times a month. She's not going to say that, especially because of the negative association with him passing away at such a young age and the rumors of steroid use. It, it, it's really crazy how it's going, how the, wrestling, how the wrestling industry is being turned on its head every time a young wrestler dies. But in keeping with that theme, they actually, um, Paul Heyman, of all people, was on the MMA Hour earlier this week, and he actually discussed a little bit his opinions and his thoughts on TNA. Of course, for the longest time, people have been saying that Paul Heyman was going to TNA or that he should go to TNA. When asked about it, he said, they're not ready for me. They're not there yet. I kind of have self-justified my own interest in TNA as a network of stock and ownership. I left pro wrestling in December of 2006 and haven't done one shoot DVD, one convention appearance, one cameo. I haven't done anything on wrestling. Heyman did confirm that TNA reached out to him many times in the last year, but that he didn't take it seriously until Dixie Carter contacted him and offered him potential ownership points and stock options as well as potential side projects with Spike TV. He concluded that they, were, that they weren't ready for his ideas, particularly using things from MMA to influence wrestling. He said that TNA is not looking long-term and only wants short-term. Paul Heyman went on to add that he would get rid of anyone over 40 in TNA if he was in charge, saying their place is to be used for promotional events, autograph signings, and video games, but not as the core talent. Noting that TNA's focus seems to be on former ECW guys in their 40s, Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair. His statement, and I quote, if you were over 40, I'd chop your fucking head off. I want a guy who's entering his pr the prime of his career to shape him and to mold him. Imagine if all they did was show an entire show to promote the Beer Money versus Motor City Machine Guns match. Instead, they had Ric Flair, Hulk Hogan, and the ECW guy saying they needed to see the match in, in order to promote it better. He goes, it's a real progressive representation of what's happening in this business. You have Hulk Hogan in his 50s thanking ECW guys in their 40s, and then ECW guys are getting beat up by a group led by Ric Flair in his 60s. It really is totally fucking ass-backwards, and I agree 100% with what Paul Heyman is saying. I feel that Paul Heyman, whatever he's involved in, whether it's MMA or professional wrestling, considering that he's helping Brock Lesnar write his biography, I think that... Whatever, whatever he's involved with, Paul Heyman looks at wrestling a little bit differently and looks at not just the athletes but the personalities and finds new and innovative ways to sell them to people. Paul Heyman has always done that. He, he, he turned a guy like Justin Credible. You know what Justin Credible is doing right now? I think he works in the Olive Garden, if I'm correct, either in the Olive Garden or he's a manager at Target. He took a guy who nobody would consider to be anywhere near talented from a wrestling standpoint because he basically looked like a guy who worked in a stock room at Target. And he ended up taking this guy and molding him into a main eventer. He took Terry Guerin, who ended up becoming Rhino, and molded him into a, into a force, into somebody that when he came out, you knew people were getting their ass whooped. 
Paul Heyman's a mad scientist, and he really knows how to find the right things to make wrestling work. On the flip side, Eric Bischoff, I kind of have a love-hate relationship with the guy. He actually posted a really interesting post on his, on his site in a blog entry, basically talking about the fact that the WWE's youth push was really a shitty idea. And I have to disagree. He said that Raw's demographic ratings among males 18 to 34 and 18 to 49 were the lowest in weeks. He puts, basically, they had a lousy quarter. He goes, one would suggest McMahon is insane enough to be intentionally misleading Wall Street with excuses. And go, he goes into the fact that guys like Batista, Triple H, Shawn Michaels are the reasons that pay-per-views sell so well and have such high live event, have live event revenues. I, on the other hand, disagree with that. I got I to gotta be straight. Eric Bischoff, of course, you guys know, he was huge influence in the success of WCW. WCW did incredible numbers. They were even whooping the WWE's ass at one point. But at the end of the day, you see who survived and who didn't. Obviously, WCW folded. Bischoff ended up working for Vince McMahon for a time, goes to TNA with Hogan, starts this whole brand-new initiative trying to make TNA an alternative to WWE, and what he's ended up doing is making it a bastardization of WWE, ECW, with a little smidgen of TNA still in there. It's kind of like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde scenario. you got Dr. Jekyll, who's all the TNA guys that go in there, they bust their asses and they give you great matches. Then you got the Mr. Hyde, which is the Hogan's, the Ric Flair's, the fucking old ECW guys. Those guys are all... They're good, don't get me wrong, they're good in limited doses. But when you're revolving a program around these guys, it's going to get really old really fast. TNA has phenomenal talent. they got really young, up-and-coming wrestlers in there and, and knockouts that are just fantastic in the ring. And I'm not even saying that on, on the bullshit that I, I'm shitting on the WWE. I've been a wrestling fan since I was five years old. I, I've seen the high points, the low points, you know, the, the finger poke of doom with Hogan and Nash, um, Demolition, Legion of Doom, um, Macho Man getting bitten by a cobra that Jake the Snake had in a bag. I've seen it all. I've seen every aspect of wrestling from the highest to the lowest, and I think that Bischoff just wants to keep that past glory alive, and he's not looking at the fact that the only way that the promotions are going to move forward is you've got to create new stars. You've got to promote these young guys. These young guys have loads of talent, but you've got to find their strengths and help those strengths connect with the audience. Otherwise, people are just going to keep shitting on the product, and you're going to revert back to using guys like Hulk Hogan who can barely walk. If you've watched TNA recently when Hogan comes out, the guy's body is held together with fucking Elmer's glue and tanning oil. He is completely fucked up. And then Ric Flair, he comes out, woo, woo, I'm a fucking maniac. I'm going to cut myself and bleed on you. Like, that's his offense. His offense is, I'm going to bleed on you and scream in your face. Ric Flair doesn't wrestle anymore, and when he does, don't get me wrong, his matches are always fantastic. But, again, he's 60 fucking years old. Are you, are you kidding me? You mean to tell me that AJ Styles is less talented than 60-year-old Ric Flair? Absolutely not. Ric Flair cuts a better promo, but he's not a better wrestler. It's just the way shit goes. Last bit of wrestling news, I definitely am disappointed with this. Uh, TNA wrestler Homicide was released this week. Um, he confirmed this release via Twitter. Homicide was actually a member of LAX for a while with uh, Hernandez. 
Homicide was also in Ring of Honor. He was a member of the Rottweilers. Fantastic talent, homegrown from New York, from Brooklyn. Guy had loads of potential in TNA. Hogan and Bischoff came in. He got lost in the shuffle, and he's gone. One of two things can happen. He'll probably either go back to Ring of Honor, which is, which is fine by me, or he may go to WWE, and then they may just strip all the hood out of his gimmick and make him a fucking a sidekick for somebody like R-Truth. Because that's what happens with WWE. They do shit like that. What do you expect? It's, it's, it's a changing of the guard, and a lot of these young guys are just getting fucking caught in the, in the crossfire. With that said... I'm going to take a quick commercial break. We're going to talk some video games because there's a lot to discuss right after this. Hey, everybody. This is Donnie Anderson from Tumbling with Tumbleweed, and I'm here with my daughter, Sophia, who has a very special message for all of you. Sophie? <gasps> Listen to Tumbling with Tumbleweed, or my daddy will kill you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I will. <laughs> Live Tuesday nights at 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the Vlog Talk Radio Network. All right, let's talk some video games. I am actually going to throw it out there for Ant to call in and uh, for us to discuss this little incident with the Mafia 2 game. Um, I just got a little message from Slick that the commercial is still low. Fucking switchboard, I put the volume at 150%. I think that if I put it at 400%, I'm going to blow out some poor bastard's eardrums. So uh, that commercial is probably going to get pulled until I can adjust the sound properly. Until Ant calls in, I do want to discuss Sonic Colors a little bit. Everybody's been talking about Sonic Colors and Sonic 4 and how it should be, you know, Sonic Colors should be more towards the mainstream audience while Sonic 4 is for the hardcores. Um, Takashi Azuka, the lead designer for Sonic Colors, came correct with his information, and he said that the game isn't meant for hardcore gamers. He said that hardcore gamers should play Sonic 4. He stated, we know that there are sometimes opinions about control for core gamers, but we're intending Sonic Colors to be played by children of probably ages between 6 and 12 years old. I think that there are two types of Sonic players. One is the people who have played Sonic since the Mega Drive, who are mainly fans of the 2D Sonic games and didn't really play the 3D ones. For those, for those gamers, Sonic Team will be giving them Sonic 4 so they can pick the Sonic game they want to play. The other is the ones who played 3D Sonic games and felt that the game was too difficult. Sonic Colors is a game for those types of players. It's still a 3D Sonic game, but the controls are more user-friendly. It's an easy-to-pick-up-and-play type of game. So through the two Sonic games, I feel the needs of both the two core groups of Sonic fans are being addressed. Sonic Colors will be out in November. Here's one thing. First off, Slick just told me that the switchboard is working, so if you are going to call in, the call-in number is always 347-324-3541. Before I bring Ann on, I want to actually discuss his, his rationale for this. In a way, I kind of feel it's bullshit, because let's be honest, for all of you that have played Sonic, all, that, all, all you really use is maybe one or two buttons and the, and the D-pad. He's running, he's jumping, he might do some type of a dash attack. You'll jam on the A button if you were playing the Genesis version a few times and he does the fucking burnout, and that's it. How is he saying that these controls are difficult? 
Same thing with the 3D game. How difficult is this control scheme? Are you, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me that, that hardcore gamers really have issue with simplistic controls? What kind of focus groups are you fucking interviewing that say that the control scheme is difficult? It's fucking Sonic. It's not, like, it's not like you're playing one of those tank simulation games with a giant tank joystick and 17 switches. It's fucking Sonic. It's a D-pad and a button to jump, maybe a spin dash or some type of a homing attack, and that's it. What, what, I understand that he, he wanted to address the issues, but the fact that they even gave that any merit is ridiculous. What they should have said is, Sonic Colors is for kids, Sonic 4 is, you know, uh, for, for regular Sonic fans. That was it. Don't go into this long, drawn-out explanation about the control scheme and, and people not being accustomed to it. Let me tell you something. We went through an evolution of two-button controllers, three-button controllers, four-button controllers. Now we, we got controllers with buttons on the front, on the fucking back, all kinds of shit. And people have adapted more so than, than, than ever before. My sister, who is 19, well, who at 19 was, can play a Wii game just as good as she can play a PlayStation game, and at 21 with autism can play any console game regardless of how many buttons the controller has, is a prime example of using a, that control shit as an excuse. It's utter horse shit. Call it like it is. Sonic Colors is to take the money from the little kids. Sonic Force for the hardcore fans. That's it. They're both going to get released and let the, let the money dictate which is the more successful title. It, it's fucking absurd. It's absurd that you come out with this, with this fucking ass-backwards logic to justify you making another version of the game. What, Sonic 4 wasn't enough? Okay, let's make this other one for, for, the, for the younger kids. That's it. Call it what it is. Call it Sonic for the younger set, and don't justify its release on control issues. It's such a fucking pussy move. Ugh. All right. With that said, let's bring it in. Yo, what's, what's up, going Rick? on? What's going on? Not bro? much. Not much, not much. All right. You actually brought this story to my attention, of course. Let me set it up a little bit. Of course, before we get into it any further, Ant is Italian-American, correct? Yep. With that said, Mafia 2 is coming out. When you hear the word mafia, as an Italian-American, what do you think of, before we even discuss the story? Obviously, Italian-Americans. Thank you. With that said, by all means, please enlighten the listening audience with this fucking ass-backwards horseshit story. Okay, the story is, there's a group of Italian-Americans called Unico National. Now, this group pretty much is just like a support, like a, like a, support group or like kind of like the Gay Lesbian Association is to gays. They pretty much just say, hey, we're Italians, we're cool, we're going to tell you all what we're like. And now they heard of this game called Mafia 2, and they're like, hmm, it's a game about the Italian Mafia in the 50s. Hmm, why does it have to be so stereotypical against Italians and Italian-Americans? How about we just go ahead and we, take, we send an angry letter to take two and we bitch about it. We say, why, can you, why do you have to make a game about Italian-Americans and call it Mafia? Why can't you make it about just Mafia in general and have no specific influence or, or, or reference to any kind of race or nationality? Now, thinking about it, 
who in the hell has ever heard of ma- mafia or any kind of mafia game or movie and not thought of Italian Americans or just Italy in general? And, and, and they said, we want you to delay the launch of this game, hold it back, and take out all references to Italians and Italian Americans. So wouldn't that mean that you have to take out everything in the game, every character, every line of dialogue, and everything, and remake it from, from scratch, and just call it, I don't know, gangster or something? So that it doesn't have any kind of reference to Italians, especially since it takes place in the 1950s, which is like the heyday of Italian monsters in New York, which is also where it takes place. Well, with that being said, first off, it, does the Godfather offend you? No. Does the Sopranos offend you? No, and Jersey Shore does. Okay, but, but uh, all right, let me tell you something. The Jersey Shore, and, and it's funny that it, it went to that, the Jersey Shore is just an amplification of a stereotype that's been perpetuated by Italian youth. That's all it is. It's basically taking a stereotype, telling them to dial it up to 60 so that they can get people to watch it. It's a train wreck that everybody tunes in to watch, and people don't understand that they might be like that to an extent, but it's just dialing it up to 11. It's like watching wrestling and meeting the wrestler in real life and expecting the guy to be the same as his persona. Nine times out of ten, not the same thing. And in relation to that, it's the it, same shit is applicable with, with the mafia. Just because you're Italian doesn't mean you're a member of the mafia. It doesn't mean you fucking make pizzas all day. It doesn't mean that you're a plumber. It doesn't mean that you all do construction. It doesn't mean that you guys fucking run crooked unions. It's just, it's just the way history is. If you, read, if you read fucking historical documents for Italy and Sicily, the first thing that's mentioned is La Cosa Nostra, which is the fucking mafia. Pretty much. It's like, it's like me talking about West Side Story being stereotypical to Puerto Ricans. We were some fucked up spicks back then. We're fucked up now. I can, as, a, as a Puerto Rican, I can say that they fuck up and fucking take advantage of all government benefits because that's what they fucking do. They perpetuate the stereotypes, and they get called on them. Not all Italians act like the Jersey Shore. Not all Italians are fucking members of the mafia. And if you don't want them to reference mafia, then what are you going to do? Make it about the Yakuza? Oh, wait, you're going to offend the Japanese too. Give me a fucking break. Let me tell you something. The, 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 the fact that the country sits around and finds such inane shit to complain about boggles my mind. It is a fucking game. If you're offended, don't buy it. Have a bowl of pasta and shut the fuck up. <laughs> Think about it. You're Italian, and you don't give a shit. Nope. In fact, I'm, look, I'm actually looking forward to it, and it's one of the few $50 games I actually pay for. There you go. You should be offended. You should be like, oh, it's a depiction of my, of my ancestry being all criminals. Because they fucking were. It <laughs> happened. It happened. No, no. New York, New York never had a bunch of goomba wops just running around shooting, shooting Irish people calling a mix. That never happened in New York in, in the no, 50s. No, that never no, happened. no, no. We have to no. deny that fact, even though I'm an, I'm an Italian and Unico, Unico National is an Italian group. We, the whole, every Italian should, we should just deny our heritage and everything that happened in our history just because it was bad. I played Germans just totally brushing under the rug the, the whole Holocaust and Hitler. Well, you know what the, the best part is? Let me tell you something. As a Puerto Rican, I should hate you. 
because Christopher Columbus dragged my ancestors from fucking Puerto Rico and fucking made them slaves. So I'm, pro- I'm probably related to you. I should hate you. And I don't give a shit. I don't give a fuck that you guys celebrate Columbus even though he was a rapist and a fucking murderer and a slaver. I don't give a shit. Look, people spend way too much time finding inane excuses to bitch about stuff. Instead of bitching about the, the game perpetuating stereotypes, why don't you bitch about the fact that the games that are coming out in relations to Italian-Americans all depict them negatively? Why don't you tell them, hey, let's make something more, more akin to displaying Italians in a positive light? Why, why don't you just do that and accept it for what it is? Oh, no. Next thing you know, they're going to say that Mario's racist because he, he fucking stere- he's a stereotypical Italian laborer. I'm waiting And because the enemies are called Goombas. That's it. Hmm. It's, it's appalling. It really is absurd that this group, which I'm more than sure has ample influence, and, and they probably provide grants and send, and send kids to school. They probably have really, really noble intentions, but it's probably some old motherfucker that read it, and he's just like, you know, this, this is what's happening to this country, this poor representation of our culture. It's what it is. It's truth. <laughs> John Gotti, you know what, 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 what in the head with a pipe, dude. In, in Brooklyn. And where the hell were they when, you, when Mafia 1 came out? Thank you. Where, where, where were they when, they when it came out? Where were they when the Godfather game came out? When were they out when GTA had fucking Tommy Versetti in there? He was fucking Italian. He was a stereotype of all stereotypes. Please, in every GTA game, the Italian Mafia was a part of the story. Thank you. That's but then again, they're all made by Take 2 pretty much, so they should just pretty much boycott Take 2. Well, then again, everyone in the world's already done that. Well, you know what? Shouldn't rednecks be offended because of fucking Red Dead Redemption? You know? Why? Yeah, or, or an old PC right? game called Redneck, Redneck Rampage. Thank you. But no, it's, it's, all, it's all fucking horse shit. But I, I wanted you to deliver this story because I wanted it to come from a source that is tied to the story on a racial standpoint, not only because you're a gamer, but because you're an Italian-American, and you don't give a shit. You got more important shit to worry about. Exactly. Like, why Snooki's a representation of your fucking race? Oh, God. Get that show out of my face. Oh. Let me tell you something. I'm not, I'm not mad at them. You want to know why? Because they took an opportunity, and they fucking ran with it. If they made a show about you making pizzas all fucking day, and they told you to fucking say, I'm fucking working over here, you would <laughs> do it for a fucking paycheck in a heartbeat. You would. Yeah. You fucking yeah. would. And, and one thing that, that has me kind of confused is why they waited until about a week before the game is going to come out. Like, of course Take-Two take can't delay it now. I mean, they already shipped out every copy they had. It's already pretty much in stores. So what the hell do they expect? Everyone them ship ship it all back and have them reprogram the whole thing and then say, oh, we got to recall them. That's never going to work because then people are still going to get their hands on it. Well, not only that, but they just gave the game free promotion. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Nice work. Yeah. Well, they probably just it. sold one, like one of their kids or something playing the demo, and they're like, oh wait, what's this? Italian mafia? Oh, you're not watching Scarface or you're not watching Godfather? Oh, what's a video game? That's a new way we can bitch about stuff. This is a new new thing. Bitch about video games. Everyone's been doing this. Let's jump on that bandwagon. 
Ugh. God. Dude, if nobody gave a shit when the Haitians complained, when they were killing them in GTA, when it was like, all right, you guys are complaining, yeah, you're still getting killed, fuck you. It, 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 look, they'll listen, they'll go, yeah, we're sorry, it sucks, but we're selling the game anyway. That's just how it is, because it's like, it, it, it's like, yeah, it's like, womp, 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 and you, and you know, game developers are like, right, yeah, yeah, you're offended, right, we get it, thanks. They don't, they don't, they don't give a shit. <laughs> fucking stupid. I'm in, it for, I'm in it for the money. I'm in it for the fucking money. Get out of here. Yep. Yep, and like you said, free promotion. Not only promotion for the game, but promotion for themselves. Unicorn National. They probably just did it so they can get their names in, in like more than one spotlight. Yeah, because who, who knows about Unico National? Who? Who? No, I never Nobody. even heard of them, and I'm an Italian. Nobody. I live in South Philly, like the home of Italy right now, and I never heard of it. Dude, I can fucking pluck you and li- I can pluck you from Philly, put you in Little Italy on the city. Ask anybody if they know about a Unico, and they're like, "The fuck are you talking about, fucking unicorns? Who's this fucking short guinea you got with you?" That's what's gonna happen. That's what's gonna happen. They're gonna be like, "Oh, this fucking game is sick. Look at that. You look at that. He hit him with a fucking pipe. That's fucking awesome. Come on, man. Stop. Stop." Like, if there's anything that, that anyone should bitch about in the game, it's the fact that the demo was released for free for kids to download, and in the game, not only is it gratuitous violence and, and all kinds of stuff like that, but you collect dirty magazines with full-blown, like, nipple show and everything nudity. You're just collecting Playboy mags with, like, the covers exposed and everything. You have to actually look at it full screen before you get credit for it. And a free demo for kids to play. Like, that's something that, that people should be complaining about, not the nationality that, that the game is about. Yep. Well, that's what happens, dude. What what, what can you, what can you expect? I can't well, expect shit from anybody in this world anymore. That's it, uh, dude. When you when you sent it to me, I said I gotta look this up, and I looked it up, and I was like, "You gotta be fucking kidding me!" You know that because I told you, I, I responded on Twitter like, "Are you fucking serious?" Because <laughs> it, it, it boggled my mind that that we live in a country that's so centered on some of the most inane shit. We got fucking blinky fish from the Simpsons in the fucking Gulf of Mexico, and nobody's talking about it anymore. But, 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 you know, but you could be offended about some guy with fucking gel in his hair shaking down a little grocery store owner, and it's stereotypical. What the fuck out of here. You know what else I made me think about? Like, it made me think of the fact that this whole war in Iraq is pretty much, like, close to over now, and I haven't seen anything about it on the news or on the Internet. I have to hear about it from... Uh, my sister's new husband, who is just coming out of it, uh, Iraq. So it's like I heard about that from word of mouth, but now I'm hearing about on the Internet this little bullshit. It's like the little bullshit gets, up, gets played up more than the biggest thing in the world right now. I'm like, what's going on here? I, I can't understand this, like, the media and publicity and stuff like that anymore. Dude, we are, we are damned as a society. Let me tell you something. If and when the terrorists take over, because that's, that's what everybody's expecting. They're not even going to come in guns blazing. They're just going to fucking offend us to death because we become <laughs> such fucking pussies. That's what it is. I, you know, I, I'm not even, you know, I hate to deviate from, from regular subjects, but it, it, that, that's really it. We are way too fucking sensitive. Way too sensitive. It's like if you say retard, all of a sudden, oh, my God, you said retard. It's, it's derogatory. It's Mentally challenged. Yeah, let, let me tell you something. I understand it's derogatory. I, you know, I, I, I have handicapped people in my house. Sometimes even I forget and I go, 
you know, hey, they're retarded. I, you know, I got to say that I got to use MR instead of saying, you know, the re retardation because people get all offended and shit. It's, it's like, really, you're offended with a fucking word? You're, you're, that's what you're offended about? It's like, uh, I remember when I was little, the, the list of bad words was like five, five words long, and they were all four letters long. Now bad words is like freaking paragraphs long and shit. You got like, like retard, you got like, a, like all kinds of racial slurs, you got everything. The, the list of bad words is a dictionary now. Oh yeah, of course. You know, George Carlin said it best, you know. We, we are a pampered society, and that's how we're going to die, even more pampered. Eh, it is what it is. But and it we, can be, we, can, we can fucking dedicate a whole show to this, but I definitely, you know, I'm glad you called in because I wanted you to take care of this for the, for, for the show because I know you would give it justice, and I appreciate it. All right, thanks, man. All right, brother. Later. All right, see you. There goes Ant. Peace out, you little wop. <laughs> Ant really did a fucking great job in, in bringing that to my attention. It, it really is really unfortunate that that's what it's come down to, especially as a gamer, that those are, those are the excuses. You don't talk about the hyper-violence or, or things of that nature. No, you've you got to talk about the inane, you know, the racial shit. It's like, why don't you talk about the violence? Why don't you talk about the fact that a 12-year-old kid can go on Xbox Live and download a game with, with a titty showing? Dante's Inferno had titties showing, and you could just download it like nothing. No, nobody said nothing about that. Like I said, our priorities in the toilet. Moving on. For those of you that are fans of the Lost Planet series and are PC gamers, you're going to get a chance to play Lost Planet 2 on Windows PC starting October 15th. The game will support DirectX 11. In addition to that, you're going to get NVIDIA's 3D Vision and 3D Vision Surround Technologies, giving gamers a true 3D experience. Of course, you're going to need 3D Vision glasses. In addition to that, there's a preview of the game currently available which features gameplay using the DirectX 11 benchmark mode to allow gamers to see if their PCs will be able to handle 3D. So there you have it. 3D games on the PC, Lost Planet 2 being one of the first, running on DirectX 11, which will allow for better volume and depth of smoke and realistic water surfaces. So if you like Lost Planet, you're a PC gamer, October 15th is the day for you to pick that up. IGN reported some of the new features for the upcoming EA MMA game. I'm going to tell you, Slick brought it to my attention as well. The EA MMA game, in theory and on paper, looks fantastic. It does. In terms of features and what they allow and match types, but collision mechanics are still sketchy. They, they are. You can tell that there's definitely issues with collision mechanics. In addition to that, I also noticed that the, the players still look very rubbery. They look like those old uh, rubber wrestlers that you would buy in the 80s. They, they really don't have realistic um, flesh tones. They, they're just very shiny, very rubberized. And uh, in, in that respect, it's a bit of a, of, of a turnoff in terms of how the game is representing the sport. You want to go for realism. I think that... Um, you know, THQ did a great job with UFC Undisputed in terms of capturing that realism, especially in Undisputed 2010. Don't get me wrong, bicycle kicks to the face are always good and face stomps are always good. You know, those were things that were um, from the pride fighting days, and I have no issue with that. 
But in terms of making the the video game counterparts look like real fighters, uh, still needs a little work. But they did report some really cool features, which I'm going to tell you guys about. Um, one of the most, one of the craziest features that got my attention was something called live broadcast, where you can actually custom make a hype video for your created fighter before going into a pay-per-view style fight event. During the live broadcast, you can actually send out links to your friends that would allow them to click and watch your live fight online as it takes place. EA Sports also says that a professional commentary team will be doing live commentary during the broadcast. That's actually really cool. I like that idea. Imagine just making a, a hype video for your fighter and putting it online like the UFC does and having your friends check it out and actually tune in to watch your fight on the web. I actually think that's a really inventive concept, really innovative from EA. I usually shit on them a lot. And very impressive. I, I, I definitely want to see a little bit more of it in action. And actually, that's actually one of the small factors that may actually have me pick up this game. In addition to that, for fight replays, they're actually going to allow you to watch fights to scout future opponents. You'll, you can only use certain pieces of video to display as highlight reels for specific fighters. Those highlights are going to be able to be accessed on EA Sports websites and in-game leaderboards. The only fights that will be saved are the ones in live broadcast mode. So you can actually have highlights from your fights on the web, and then potential opponents can scout you, or you can scout potential opponents. I actually like that. It actually adds to that realistic atmosphere of, uh, of fights being booked and lead-ups to the fights and helping promote them. I think the online presence for this game is, is definitely a step in the right direction. I mean, UFC did a great job with the fight camps and you being able to train with your friends and having your own fight team with created fighters and being able to challenge other camps. Definitely an evolution in the sport overall, and I like that they're capturing a little bit of the, the simulation and the behind-the-scenes aspect of the sport it definitely looks promising, but they need to get the fucking shininess off the fucking MMA characters for sure because it's, it's, it's a little off-putting, but we'll see how it pans out. Earlier this week, on Monday, as a matter of fact, Square Enix announced a new game that they're going to be putting out called Gun Loco. It's going to be a third-person shooter currently in development exclusively for the 360. Uh, basically, the premise is that you're going to be on a remote planet with the universe's most dangerous criminals, and you're going to have no prison guards, no jail cells. The convicts are going to run wild, destroying everything and anyone that crosses their path. Kind of, so kind of sounds like Manhunt. In order to survive on this planet, players will have to familiarize themselves with an arsenal of weapons as they compete against opposing factions across the planet's seven climate zones. You'll need to master the sprint action gameplay in order to run, jump, duck, bolt through each environment as you attack and evade your enemies. In order to help players survive, they add a dash of salt to your enemy's wounds. Each character in the game comes with their own signature kill move, complete with a takedown taunt. Again, very Manhunt-ish. Each character in the game was created from an original design concept by toy maker Kenny Wong. Wong's designs were then turned into real-life posable action figures before being digitally scanned into the game. Sounds interesting. I'm going to see if I can pull up some video for it and post it on the site. Again, a little bit... Uh, actually, that's a really good one. Strider, Strider gets props for that. Sounds a lot like the club, so definitely elements of Manhunt and elements of the club for sure. I'm going to see if I can get some video footage and throw it up on the site sometime this weekend, so definitely keep an eye out for that. Moving on, BioWare announced at Gamescom that Mass Effect 2 will be released on the PlayStation 3 in January of 2011. 
The PlayStation 3 edition will feature the full Mass Effect 2 game and hours of bonus content as well. Mass Effect 2 on the 360 and the PS3 received over 70 perfect scores from various media outlets, including the Associated Press. The fuck do they know about gaming? Eurogamer, MSNBC. Again, who the fuck knows about gaming from MSNBC? Who? G4 TV, duh. And the LA Times, it's the highest rated game in the 15-year history of BioWare and the 28-year history of EA. The game will be out in January. I think that bringing Mass Effect to, uh, to the PlayStation 3 is a step in the right direction, honestly, just because it allows that game to reach a whole new, a whole new set of, of fans and a whole new demographic in terms of PlayStation 3 owners. No problems with that. What I don't like is the fact that they're running around giving all this bonus content in the game while, you know, 360 owners had to pay for it. It's, it's, it's a little bit biased. I think that the games should be released the same. If you're releasing it on the PS3, they should be paying for downloadable content just the same. I think that adding some of that downloadable content in there is definitely going to, you know, throw a little salt in the wounds of Xbox 360 owners just because they're going to be like, wow, you guys get all this free shit, yet we still have to pay for some downloadable content. It's, uh, again, great for BioWare, um, great for EA that they have such a successful title. Bad that they're including so much and kind of alienating the 360 gamers that have paid for all this content already. I sincerely hope that they're going to come out with some, something new and innovative for the 360 owners to give them something to continue um, extending the shelf life of this great game because it really is an awesome game. I actually played a little bit of it. It's not my cup of tea, but I can see why people like it. it it's just something that just didn't, it didn't grab my attention. It, I'm weird like that. Some of these games that get such critical acclaim, I play them for a little bit, and I'd be like, Ugh. It, it's just, it just doesn't get my attention. I think that, why did you put there, Ant? Should have bought PS3 trolling is imminent. Nice work, Dark Helmet. I always get sidetracked with the fucking chat, I swear. Um, moving on. Microsoft announced the first wave of Xbox Live games scheduled to be available on the Windows Phone 7 operating system when it launches this holiday season. In addition to first-party content from Microsoft Game Studios, including games based on Halo and Crackdown, gamer, Windows Phone 7 will also support leaderboards, demos, multiplayer, achievements, and even avatars. It's almost like a portable Xbox 360, with one exception, that can only play Xbox Live titles. The games currently scheduled to be available when Windows Phone 7 launches include the following. 3D Brick Breaker Revolution. Nobody gives a shit. Age of Zombies, Armor Valley, Asphalt 5, Assassin's Creed, Bejeweled Live, of course, Balloons TD, no idea what that is, Brain Challenge, Bubble Town, Butterfly, Carnivale, Castlevania, Crackdown 2, Project Sunburst, uh, Blob Revolution, Deal or No Deal, Earthworm Jim, Fast and Furious, what the fuck? Fight Game Rivals, Finger Physics, that sounds like a porno, uh, Flight Control, Flowers, Frogger, Fruit Ninja. I can make a lot of jokes about a game called Fruit Ninja, but I'm just going to leave it alone. Uh, Geo Defense, Ghostscape, Glow Artisan, Guitar Hero 5, of course. Halo Waypoint, uh, Let's Golf, what the fuck is this? Max and the Magic Marker, The Revenants, Splinter Cell Conviction, Star Wars Battle for Hoth, Star Wars Cantina, The Oregon Trail, oh, I'm so excited for that, 
zombies attack and Uno. Look, I think that Windows trying to integrate Xbox Live stuff into their phones is nice. Again, they're a little late. It's like the PSP trying to be a phone. and all. You guys are a little late to the party. I have gotten the opportunity to use Windows Phone 7 in a virtual environment. It is a very nice operating system. But again, Windows crams it full of such bloatware and such bullshit that it's going to turn off a lot of novice phone users because they're going to be overwhelmed with all the shit that it does. I think that the Xbox Live functionality is a great selling point. It will get a lot of the, the gaming crowd to gravitate towards the phone, especially if they're hardcore Xbox gamers. But on the same instance, it's really just more bloatware that's going to just make your phone use more battery life. It, it's ridiculous. You're going to be like, oh, yeah, you know, I got the Windows Phone 7. It ha I can play Xbox Live on it. But guess what? I can't make a call on it because if I play the game for 20 minutes, I'm going to run out of fucking battery. For for every for every good intention, there's there's the potential for a fucking for for a really bad execution, and I see that happening with this Windows Phone Seven. I think that it looks good, it functions well, but cramming so many things in there is really unless you do a lot of good research and get some really good batteries in there, it, it the phone is going to be perpetually on the charger forever. I mean, I, I just switched to Android, and it does so much shit, and so much shit runs in the background that I have to charge the phone. At, at minimum, by the end of the day, the phone is almost drained, especially if I do a lot of stuff with the phone. So, you know, it, it, it's good, but in the long run, it's bad just because the phone is just doing way too much now. Like, it, look, I just needed to call, text message, and, and, you know, maybe check some email. All this extra shit. Nice in theory, not a, not a necessity overall, though. With that said, we're going to bring in our, 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 first, our first call in regards to these topics, and, of course, the first one is Slick. Slick, what's going on, dude? What's up, man? What do you got? Uh, well, I wanted to comment on the whole downloadable content thing and, like, people getting basically all the, all the stuff that, Xbox uh, users had to pay for in the in the box when it shipped for PS3. I mean, yeah, you can look at it that maybe the Xbox users kind of got shafted, but they also got the game what like a year early. Okay, fair so enough. All the stuff is dated now. Anybody who really wanted to play Mass Effect 2 for the 360 has beaten it multiple times already. Okay. So I mean. At this point, it would be kind of a kind of a kind of criminal to charge sixty bucks for the game and then start charging for the downloadable content as well. The only way that you know that BioWare is going to make the full retail price off the game is to give the downloadable co downloadable content for free. Okay, but but on the same instance, they're talking about. And here's the thing that really got my attention, and again, it may just be stuff that's already been released, but they actually said that you're going to get the game, Mass Effect 2 game, and hours of bonus content. Now, that raises the question, is it existing bonus content? Is it exclusive PS3 bonus content? That's what concerns me, because think about it. If you put the game out brand new, it has all the bonus content that 360 gamers already got. Then you start throwing exclusive PS3 shit in there. 360 gamers are going to start getting 
pissed because they're going to be like, yo, what the fuck, man? What happened to our shit? You see what I mean? Like, unless they keep it balanced where, you know, mass, you know, new downloadable content will be equal when it's released on both platforms, people, there, there's going to be a, a little bit of favoritism on one end or the other for sure. Yeah, I hear what you say. I mean, downloadable content is is always a mixed bag because sometimes you get great stuff, sometimes you get bullshit. I mean, whether you pay for it or not. And then you have the now downloadable content being used as, you know, pre-order bonuses because I saw just earlier tonight one of the games I'm looking forward to next month, Spider-Man Shattered Dimensions. Yep, with the doing the whole yeah, it depends on who you get it from. Right now, as far as what I would I would call the best offer, it's kind of a toss-up. If you get it from GameStop, you get a, a Cosmic Spider-Man costume for each of the characters. Okay. And, I mean, and sorry, and you get a signature charge attack. Wow. If Let you me get tell it you from what Amazon... Happened. Go ahead. If you get it from Amazon, the twenty ninety nine costume gets the Iron Spider as um, an alternate. But I mean, I doubt you get like the the extra arms that the costume had or the abilities the costume had because basically that gives you every Spider Man costume. Yeah, but you know what's gonna happen, and this is what annoys me, that they'll go and they'll use that you know the the dangling the carrot in front of the fucking donkey mentality to get you in there to pre order the fucking game, and then. The you know PSN and Xbox Live go hey you can get the downloadable content here for three bucks boom you got it. There should again I understand that it's a way to drum up sales and to get people to go in there but it's really horseshit if you're using that as a rationale to buy the game because at some point you're gonna get the shit anyway. I really hate that dangling the carrot mentality. It's so fucking stupid, especially for shit. Like, let's, let's be realistic. You get the Cosmic Spider-Man costume. Is it going to change the gameplay in any shape, way, or form? Are you going to go through the game faster? Are you going to get a fucking Cosmic Spider-Man nuclear galactus attack? No. You're going to get just a fucking change of clothes. It's like, here, Spider-Man, throw on these new socks. You know, it's not, it's not really adding a gameplay element. Yeah, you get a charge attack, which I'm more than sure you'll probably get in a fucking game anyway. Yeah, you probably have to unlock it by, you know, getting battle points or whatever. Exactly. It, it, that dangling the carrot shit does not work. And, and, I, and I admire that they got to do it because it's becoming really competitive for the new for new titles because every, everybody sells fucking new games now, Pawn Shop, 7-Eleven, fucking Foot Locker, Target, Walmart, the crackhead with the jacket. Everybody sells fucking new games. So it, it's a very competitive market. But on the same token, it's like people are going to buy it regardless. So don't, don't fucking dangle the carrot unless it's something that's really good. Like, if, like, like put it like this. If, if Best Buy said, we're going to sell Spider-Man Shattered Dimensions, you buy it, you get a box set with small statues of each of the Spider-Man. There's some incentive to buy it. It's tangible, it's, it's display-worthy, and it's cool. But, but oh, you're getting... You're unless, getting it, unless it looks like the, the statue you got for Darksiders. Oh, yeah, the, you know, unless you, got a, you, you get a fucking statue with a melted face. But, um... 
you know, telling me that Spidey's getting new socks, you know, and an extra mask, you're not doing me any favors. You're not giving me any real incentive. I'm just going to walk into whatever store I'm in that day and buy the game. Strata mentioned, um, no, sorry, Ant mentioned Gran Turismo 5, and I just saw they're getting go-karts in Gran Turismo 5. Oh, I'm really excited to drive go-karts in a fucking circle. Oh, yes. That's going to make me want to drop $60. Dude, I am so excited to open my wallet to race virtual go-karts. Are you fucking serious? Really? It would have only been fun if they, they would have had weapons. Ugh. Here's a racing simulation that, that you know you've been waiting five years for. And as a reward for waiting, you get to ride go-karts. It's, really? Ugh. Sadly, like, really. Go-karts. It, it, look, unless the go-karts are fucking throwing banana peels and fucking shells, Nobody gives a shit. It's, you know, unless a go-kart has a fucking chicken gun attached to it, no one cares. Let me tell you what's going to sell Gran Turismo. The diehard racing fans that like simulation games that have waited for years for it, they're the ones that are going to buy it. Is it going to make a huge MPD dent? No. Is it going to sell respectively? Yes. But it's also going to be gamers talking with their wallets telling Sony, you're making us buy this shit, and then we have to buy packs with more fucking cars, and they're going to tell Sony to go fuck themselves. Basically, yeah. It's it's stupid. uh, My incentive to buy a game is go-karts. No, that's not an incentive. I just, I saw that's another, you know, racing style they have in the game. It's not like you pre-order and you're getting go-karts. Dude, that's like, no, but I'm just saying, that's the equivalent of fucking a hooker with one leg so you can access the box easier. <laughs> that's what it is. It's like, yeah, we're going to give you something so fucking awesome but because we were bored. Yeah, we're going to give you go-karts. Next thing you know, fucking RC kart racing, like fucking RC Pro-Am. How about little Hot Wheels? They're going to throw little Hot Wheels that you can race around your living room next fuck out of here. Tyco Trek. I'd actually play that. I'd actually play <laughs> Gran Turismo if it took place in my living room and you had to dodge your cat and your fucking and a toddler and your mom spilling orange juice and, you know, your fucking dog trying to eat the fucking track and your little brother pulling up the road. Dude, I'd play that because that's different. But it's driving around in a fucking circle in expensive-ass cars that you'll never own. Basically, yeah, and you got to pay just about as much for them because of the, all the downloadable content in the game. Ugh, fuck that. Anything else to add, my friend? Yeah, man, I'm just I'm mad about that whole Xbox Live for mobile thing. I mean, they really could have done that. I, I understand that the Windows Live mobile phone is like a touch screen, and I guess it makes playing games more accessible because of that. But yeah, I they, I, they I, really could have. No, what I was gonna say was I played the with the virtual with the virtual applications, and if it, when the touchscreen phone comes out, it, it it is gonna be nice, dude. But again, they're just really late to the party now. Go ahead. 
It's just like I, like I said, when I originally saw it, I thought it was going to be available for basically any phone, and that would have been that would have been cool. I mean, looking back, I see how that might not have worked. But it just would have been a better idea if they possibly could have made that work, and that would have actually been something to rival the iPhone, which we all know that's all they're really trying to do. Oh, yeah. Well, here's what's going to happen. If Sony comes out with this alleged Android-powered PSP slash phone, what is it doing? Competing with the fucking iPhone. Same shit. I, I really hate this, non, this non-committal to compete but still competing. Like... Oh, oh no! Yeah, we're not putting this out for for to compete against the iPhone. We're putting it out for the gamers to allow them to, another medium to enjoy Xbox Live titles. Bullshit! You're full of shit. You're tired of Apple giving it to you with no lube, and you're upset that you're not making money from from fucking portable games, and you're grasping at straws. And you came out with a brand new OS, and you said, "Let's put Xbox Live integration in there." Yeah, but like, and. What I was going to say was, like, Ed, go ahead. No, what I was going to say was, we are really fucking this up. I was going to say what Ed said fucking was perfect. You're going to be customizing your avatar and your battery's going to die. Pretty much. Last time I played with Ed, I mean, I can't recall either of us saying, hey, I wish I could play Crackdown 2 on my freaking phone. Yeah, do you give a shit about that, that you can play Crackdown on your phone? No. Shit is hard enough for the full-blown controller. And, and not only that, but how how graphically, how how good is the game going to look graphically? Like, what are you going to do, top-down view? Well, you mentioned that Star Wars Battle of Hearth was actually saw from one of the Gamescom trailers. That game looks like something from the Game Boy. Exactly. Now, a lot of these games really do not look appealing at all visually. Nope. But you know what it is? It's the allure. It's the, it's the, oh, you have Xbox Live on your phone. It's like saying I can watch porn on my phone. Yeah, it's like, stop. Stop. Stop selling me with, with shit that I may use maybe twice. It's not relevant. Yeah, because some of the games look really fun, and then you got Battle for Hoth. Dude, you playing fucking Uno. You're playing Uno on your phone. Uno. And it's a huge deal that you can play Uno on your phone. Are you kidding me? Like, I'm looking at some of these titles, Uno, fucking Zombies Attack. They have a game in there called OMG. Playing Uno on your phone means you're going to be subjected to cock shots on your phone. Thank you. That's the problem with Uno and Xbox Live. You know, you're going to put games like that. You're going to put Frogger in there. Frogger screams casual. You're not going to put fucking Metal Gear Solid on there, or, you know, you'll probably put Street Fighter on there in some sort of incarnation, and there'll probably be some sort of a Tekken version on there. But all it is is just them trying to get that extra little bit of an edge to compete against Apple. It's not happening. Right now, the only company that's competing against Apple and winning is, is, is Nintendo. And that's simply because they are focusing on their portable market. They're not trying to make it a phone or a microwave or a CB radio or a fucking tire jack. It's a portable gaming system, first and foremost. Apple is only gaining market share because 
the 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 little the little the size of the iPhone is is perfect for you know little casual games. You know, words with friends, which which is actually a, a very cool game. You know, bird bird attack, um, Angry Birds, Plants vs Zombies, Street Fighter Four. These are all casual games that you can play on a train or on a bus or in a car ride. And you know, if your phone rings, the game will pause, and you keep it moving. That's it. Yeah, basically, I mean, we'll see what it does, but I'm not expecting much from it. No, sir. I don't expect much either. I, I like, like I said, Windows Phone 7 as an operating system for a cell phone, very nice. Windows Phone 7 for gaming, I could give two fucks about. There you go. There you have it. All right, my friend, let's wrap up these, let me wrap up these gaming news, because I'm more than sure you guys are going to love the movie news. All right, man. I'll talk to you later. All right, man. Later. All right. In addition to, of course, Bioware announcing Mass Effect 2, they also announced that Dragon Age 2 will be hitting the Xbox 360, PlayStation 3, March 8th, 2011. Three days after that, the game will be coming out in Europe. In Dragon Age 2, you're going to be playing the character Hulk, a refugee who survives the destruction of his homeland and becomes the champion of Kirkwall. The game will span 10 years in the Dragon Age universe timeline as players unravel Hulk's mysterious rise to power. Most of the gameplay elements from the first game are coming back, including the ability to gather allies and make moral choices that could affect the outcome of the game. You can check out the game's first trailer, Destiny, at DragonAge.com. I'm going to see if I can actually get it and put it on MyTakeRadio.com sometime this week. Now, I don't usually get what-the-fuck news on the gaming side of things. Most of the time it's in the movies, sometimes in the MMA, maybe in the wrestling, but, but the gaming news, the gaming news are going to have a gem for you guys. And I'm going to read this to you verbatim as per how I got it this week. Are you a lonely single gamer looking for a frag buddy? Well, GamerDating.com is launched specifically to rectify that situation. GamerDating.com networks gamers based on their favorite games, providing some common ground to start a potential relationship. <laughs> so basically, it's Match.com for gamers. <laughs> Holy shit, are they really not wanting people to leave their houses. It is, that is embarrassing. Gets better. Considering the increased presence of gaming in the world at large and considering there are gaming sites based on all sorts of other hobbies and interests, a gaming-based dating site seems pretty appropriate. GamingDating.com CEO Jim Palmer agrees, saying, in a period when there is a unique recognition of the importance and the love of gaming and the lack of gamer dating sites, we're thrilled to be the first to offer such a service to gamers who have been looking so long for that like-minded person to be with. Thinking about giving it a whirl? Head over to GamerDating.com while it's still free. The site's doing some testing and development, so you can give it a look for a while. When it's fully up and running, it'll cost you $7 a month. That's half the price of a month of World of Warcraft. Oh, shit. I got to just uh, throw a quick correction out there. The Dragon Age 2 trailer is on MyTakeRadio.com. Way too many posts for me to remember, but yes, it is up there. Slick did put it up earlier this week. So, gamer dating site. Look, there's no harm in wanting to do that. That's fine. 
I see no issue with it. My main gripe is the fact that they, that they say, are you a lonely single gamer looking for a frag buddy? It's like, what is Xbox Live for? The, 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 the get with this site is, is picking up girls. But I hate how they, how they wrap it up in such a, such a nice, pretty PC type of a thing where you're looking for a new frag buddy. It's like code for, are you looking for a new butt buddy? Why don't they just say it like that? It's really ridiculous that they're wrapping it up in such a nice, nice, easy, non-embarrassing sort of way. Look, it's a gaming site for gamers. Just, just come out with it and leave it at that. Oh, no, it's, it's, it's potential relationships. I've read enough about people meeting through Halo and World of Warcraft and establishing relationships. It's just the way it works. You develop chemistry, nature takes its course. The fact that you're trying to go into this whole niche market and you're trying to do this really crazy shit, it's, it's good and bad at the same time. It's nice because you're trying to get like-minded individual to get like-minded individuals with the same interests together and hopefully help build relationships. But you know what? That's what fucking Xbox Live, the PlayStation Network, and going outside of your fucking house can do for you. You can just as easily go out, buy a game in GameStop, bump into a girl in there. She might be looking at a game. You might be looking at the same game. She might say, hey, this game is pretty cool. What do you think? Oh, I like it. Oh, well, what's your gamer tag? Who knows? Maybe you play a game or two, and then she shows up naked at your house, and you fuck amongst your comic books. Who knows? But the fact that they're really just catering it to not leaving your house, and it, order a piece over the phone, order a piece of ass through the web. It, that's really what it's becoming. It's becoming a, a, a society of just buying shit facelessly, no interactions whatsoever. And it's really crazy that they're trying to base relationships on that as well. With that said, I got Strider on the line, and I'm going to see what kind of input he has in regards to this. Strider, my friend, what do you got? Dude, oh, my God. <laughs> what the fuck are these people thinking? I mean, seriously, I have, I have gamers. I'm just, I think, I'm not sure which is sad that we gamers have become so pathetic that we have to rely on, a, people have to come up with a, with a, a site, a match.com specifically for gamers, which basically uh, preys on us staying at home, or stay, well, preys on gamers staying at home and relying on us staying at home to try and get dates, or the fact that they even had to go through all that. I mean, it's, it's like, or, I don't know where to start. This is fucking pathetic. I don't know if, yeah, I don't know if it's our, I don't know if it's the gamer's fault or if it's just the people who decided to come up with that that idea that would have the nerve to stereotype all gamers or most gamers to be shut-ins, that we would have no fucking, uh, you know, uh, social life or yep. any type of macking skills whatsoever. I mean, I don't know which is worse. Well, that's what you know. What the funny thing is, they're really just telling you that you don't need any game except a video game to get to get a girl that shares the same interest. And it's really unfortunate because the only way in life that you can actually be successful in getting relationships is by getting shut down. It's just it's just the way it's just the way it is. But again, this goes back to what we were discussing before, and you mentioned in the chat. It's just our society becoming so fucking PC and so dependent on not wanting to offend. It's like, look, he's a fat kid. He plays games. He don't get no pussy. You know how you remedy that? 
you lose some weight, you go outside, and you talk to people. What, you know, way to continue catering to making us stereotypically, you know, chubbies that hide behind fucking headphones and TV screens instead of looking at it as, as something where we want to come up with a, game, with a website that caters to the interests of gamers and allows them to possibly build relationships. Just come out with it and say, yo, it's a fucking dating site. But don't use, are you looking for a frag buddy in your fucking tagline. It's, it's, it's yeah. disgusting, and it's an insult to my fucking intelligence and to any other dude or girl out there that's trying to, that may be trying to meet a fellow gamer for a real relationship. You're not gonna spend you're you're not gonna spend eight hours a day fucking playing Xbox. You want to go and have dinners. You want to fuck a couple of times. Maybe watch a bad movie or two. Those are the rules of a relationship. It's what it is. Some girls like all the all the interests that their men have. Some girls don't. You either have to work at sharing your interests with them or accept shit for what it is. But don't fucking pander to the gaming community with this fucking sad ass excuse for for a gaming for a dating site. Hell yeah, man! And one one thing, and what's what was what was the uh, how much does it cost for this shit before after it goes after the free trial, whatever the fuck? You're gonna pay seven bucks a month to try and get pussy, basically. Okay. Or dick. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see. Well, first off, I don't think it's possible for any woman to spend any money on a dude to get dick from them. If a girl in this day and age has to spend money on a dude. Just so she can get some dick, especially a, a, a lonely video gamer. That's just fucking pathetic. I'm sorry. That's, well, that's, num- know, that's number one. Number two. Well, hold, worst, on, wait, no, hold on. Uh, well, go, ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. What I was, what, no, what I was going to say is that women will always have a better chance, and every comedian has always joked about this. Women can get laid, even if it's the worst woman in the world with one leg and no hair and a glass eye. She can get laid probably more frequent than an average looking dude because she's a woman. It's just the way it is. It's just it's just the the nature of the beast. It's it, you know, it works in it, with animals. It's the same in real life. Women have a a larger conversion rate than men do. It's just the way it is. Yeah, we 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 can do that, but we also have to look a certain way, smell a certain way, you know, we have to get a certain type of girl's attention for that. Girls, eh, low-cut shirt maybe. It depends. And, and I'm not even saying it from a sexist standpoint. I'm more than sure that some females that that are listening may take it as such. It's not from a sexist standpoint. It's from a fact that women have an easier time getting men. If you're a gamer and you're a girl, your fucking quotient for getting men is huge now huge. Your, qu- your quota potential, ridiculous. And in going to the GamerDating.com website, which I'm looking at right now, I love how the tagline is for gamers by gamers. And all the members practically on the first page, with the exception of maybe one or two, are all guys. Yeah. The one girl maybe has a poodle as her avatar. Probably looks like that fucking poodle too. <laughs> Go ahead, man. And yeah, and the second one, that, my second point, I was going to bring up. Who the, I'm, I'm kind, I'm kind of really doubting the intent uh, or the success of this so-called site because I wonder, 
who the fuck came up with the damn taglines? I'm pretty confident it's a bunch of numb nuts who probably only play Halo or fucking Madden. I wouldn't even say Madden because, I mean, even Madden players would come up with a little bit of something more tasteful than that. But they'll play fucking Halo or Call of Duty or, like, the most generic first-person shooter they can think of and say Frag Buddy. Seriously. I mean, really, guy? I mean, is this... Frag, I, that was what the release said. Frag, are you looking for a frag buddy? Okay, so it's two, so why did you say two, you know, you know, by casual gamer, for casual gamer? That sounds a little bit more accurate by the way these motherfuckers are talking. I mean, seriously, why don't you just come up with a damn website that allows gamers to interact but not charge people for it? I mean, fucking, I mean, sorry, I'm, I'm pretty sure people hook up more through MySpace video game forums or any other forms on MySpace than it is with this fucking $7 bullshit that they're going with. Yep. Seriously. You're probably 100%, you're probably 100% accurate with that because there's a little bit more interaction. And so what? Your interests, as diverse as they are, it's nice, yeah, that you, know, you can find people that share your interests, but again, you're not going to be a gamer forever sometimes. You, know? you grow up sometimes, and, and that's not your thing. Some, some girls, after, you know, they're gamers for a little bit, and then they realize, holy shit, I have menopause, and Mario died, and I started crying. The end. <laughs> Too many mushrooms, eh? Ah, yeah. Fun guy. Oh, it's, it's ridiculous, dude. But you got to uh, look at it like this. you you got to look at it like this as a guy. What, as a guy and as a gamer, would your, would a, your influence with a woman be dictated by your hobby as a gamer? Like, what, do, you, do you purposely look for a girl who's a gamer first? Fuck no. There you go. That, that's all I needed. Absolutely not. I mean, I mean it's, being, being a gamer would be a bonus, a huge bonus. But, uh-huh. but like, I said, like I said, bonus. But, you know, every, you just want a girl that, that can kick it with you, plain and simple. Exactly. Because even if she's not, even if she's not a gamer, you know, shit, even my best friend's dude, I bet me, sorry, my best friend's girl, um, you know, she she just likes to chill, chill out, chill by the house, and uh, you know, and watch her band play. You know, just watch. Doesn't even play. You know, it's, you know, but overall they're still spending a lot, a lot of time together. So it doesn't even have to be about games. It's just having someone there. Exactly. So having from a companion standpoint, it really is, it's really crazy, though. And that's why I want, it's good that you called and you, and you can respond to that because I'm more than sure any, anybody who's listening um, that, or anybody in the chat can call and say that they don't use the gaming as a rationale to pick up girls. I mean, that'd be really different. I mean, that'd be different if a guy purposely gets in the gaming just to pick up chicks, because that would assume that there are more chicks that play video games than males, and that's I'd probably confident would say that's not true. Um, but if it ever did can't come down to that, I'm pretty sure this little seven dollar bullshit scheme would probably come off without a hitch. But I'm pretty sure it would fail, because I mean. The ratio of men that would sign up for that site as opposed to women would be very fucking low, and I can pretty much be sure that this site will not will not be as successful as they think it would. Yeah, well, it seems you know it's funny because it, it's like you look at the front page and it has all these members, 
And, and the big gag, like you said, is it's mostly dudes. But the scary part is it's mostly dudes that may have paid $7. I mean, it says that the beta is free at the moment, but after the beta is done, are, they gonna, are, are there going to be as many dudes playing, paying $7? That's the big get. I think if anybody wants to look at that, um, they should definitely check that out because it's free just to see what happens. Anyone know? I'm, yeah, I'm just I'm just saying anybody who play, who pays seven dollars for that shit needs to get punched in the uterus. I'm just saying that straight out. I, dude, I I agree with you 100. percent I respect that because you know what? It's eliminating the primal instinct, the necessity to play the game. It's like the it's like yeah, you're playing the game, but now it's just a game with a controller, not the life game of trying to get a girl. It's not even improving your game as a man. It's doing the work for you. It's like oh. I like Xbox. Oh, I like Xbox, too. Let's fuck. It's like, are you kidding me? Like, that's it? Like, that's what it yeah. took? At what work think, is there I, in that? I, I, I don't think even then it would be that simple. I mean, I think it's just I think it's just one of those things where it's an icebreaker. Just like Match.com. It's just like, it's like Match.com with, you know, with, with an uh, Xbox Live Arcade avatar. That's it. Yep. It's like, it's, you know, it's just like, yeah. No, you're right, dude. I think I, I think after the free beta is over, I'm gonna I'm gonna actually keep an eye on this to see what happens. You know? Yeah. Anything else to add, my friend? Uh, nothing yet. You will you might probably hear some more black rage, uh, black military rage after uh, after I hear some more of your movie news coming up. So yeah, go ahead, keep doing what you're doing, man. All right, brother. I appreciate the call as always, and you know, thanks for defending our country. <laughs> No problem. Thanks, dude. Peace. All right. So, yeah, dating site. Um, homework assignment for my fellow uh, My, Take Ma- My Take Radio Army members here. I really would like one of you, just one of you. It can be any of you guys. You guys can chronicle it. I'll post it on the site afterwards. Somebody really should sign up. I don't want to do it because I think – I think my my fiance may think it, it, I'm trying to creep, but somebody should really sign up for it for 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 a, you know because it's free for now, and really chronicle their experience on this site, and by all means they can share it on the on the website and you know talk about it on the show. But I'd love to hear somebody go through the chronicles to see what happens. I definitely would love to see that, like how, like to chronicle the sign-up and the fellow gamers that they meet, and it would definitely, I, I really would like to see a male and a female do it, uh, a male listener and a female listener do it, try it out for 30 days, and come back on the show and, and you know, or call in and let us know how it went. I'm just curious, really curious to see how they actually function in a dating site dedicated to gamers. Um, out for ducats. You sign up. Tell us what's really going on. I would, but it just uh, it wouldn't go well for you. I mean, it wouldn't go well for me if I did it. I think by uh, I think if I used it as an excuse for research, it wouldn't come off well. But you know what? I I may just do it. Fuck it. I, I'll I'll sign up. I'll, let me see if I sign up this week. If not, and somebody decides to sign up, let me know before I fucking go in there and put my information in there. 
Um, I'll have to create a fake name or something. Um, uh, I, I, it really is a great social experiment, so fuck, man. I, I'll find a way to make it work. So GamerDating.com is on the homework list. Moving on. All APB developer real-time worlds. All points bulletin, of course, a game with huge amount of hype behind it, came out, didn't fare so well. Reports are coming out that the real-time world studio has entered administration and is looking for an investor. If one can't be found, the studio will be shutting down. As of right now, the studio has a skeleton crew maintaining APB. Previous reports said that, project, that the Project My World team had been laid off as well. The other title that Real Time's that Real Time Worlds made, and the one it's most known for, is Crackdown. After that, the studio spent five years working on APB, which it released in June. Obviously, APB has not been met with such critical acclaim as was expected, and unfortunately, if they do not find an investor, Real Time Worlds will shut down. Very unfortunate. APB looked really promising, especially them talking about you creating your own gang and going on all these crime sprees and shit. I really was looking forward to it. Then people started kind of putting their opinions out there, and it just wasn't as good as it was cracked out to be. It sounded nice on paper, but when it came out, did not fare as good for sure. Moving on. When Connect comes out in November, the Xbox 360 avatars will be getting a redesign. The reason for that is that the avatars are not being able to have their moves replicated with the Connect. Rare went on to say, that this isn't a problem with the camera, but with the, but with the player's perception. Players see the cartoon proportions of the avatar and aren't used to translating action to them, thus making hand-eye coordination in certain games seem broken. The new avatars will be more realistic, according to Nick Burton, senior programmer at Rare. I always liked the Xbox avatars. They bordered on cartoonish and realistic. Most of the time, the avatars look like their real-life counterparts. I really don't want them to get too realistic with it, because if you look at the quote-unquote avatars for the PlayStation Home, they all look like, like my avatar looks like T.I. And when you go into the um, PlayStation Network and into the home, uh, like the mall in the home section, it's basically a lot of T.I. clones with different clothes. And then you got a couple of white guys that all look like Chris Evans and a couple of girls that all look the same. It, 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 it really is nice in theory that they want to border on realism but the cartoonish graphics for the Xbox Live avatars are, are they're nice, you know. They're not, they're not too cartoony, but they're not too out of this world. They're, they're just right, and they allow you to either create it yourself or even a, um, I've seen people create the Joker or various fictional characters on there. They, they really are easily accessible. I mean, they're a step above the me and a step below uh, the PlayStation Home avatar. And you know what? It's a real happy middle ground, so I'm really looking forward to seeing how these new um, avatars are going to look in November when Kinect comes out. Last bit of gaming news, Geek.com is reporting that there are rumors of a 7-inch iPad that will be coming out for Christmas. The site cited China's economic daily news saying that Taiwanese companies have won several component contracts for the mini device. The size would make for a screen double the size of the current iPhone 4, providing a middle ground between the iPhone 4 and the iPad. Looking at it like like that, I really think that the iPad, while it is a really nice piece of technology, it's not as appealing to a lot of people strictly because of the price range and also after losing the unlimited data plan. 
them going with a 7-inch iPad allows them to di directly compete a little bit more with the Kindle, especially if they price it at around the $250 range. 7-inch uh, screen, double the size of the iPhone. It should be good for stuff like that. I really think that putting out too many uh, uh, versions of the same device is going to be a problem, you know, with, between the iPod Nano, the iPod Mini, the iPod Touch, the iPod Classic, iPhone 3GS, iPhone 4, iPad, iPad Mini if they go that route. Too, too much saturation. I think that going with a smaller screen, if they're going to make it 200 bucks and make it easily accessible and maybe add a couple of different little things that will make it more appealing, like maybe, uh, you know, like comic book, um, a comic book application to subscribe to comics, maybe um, sponsored by Marvel, things like that will make it more appealing just because it will capture a different audience. Making it smaller and trying to make it use the same things that the iPad currently does is just you buying a larger iPhone. It's, I'm, I'm really 50-50 on it. I'm not 100% on the shitting on it aspect, kind of on the, on the wait-and-see approach, because, of course, it wouldn't be complete without Google releasing their own Chrome, Chrome OS slash Android tablet, which is allegedly going to be more affordable, be flash-based, have a 1280 by 70 multi-touch display, 2 gigs of RAM, 32 gigs of onboard storage, GPS, and a built-in camera. I think that if Google actually uses the Android operating system from their phones on this tablet and prices it competitively around 250 bucks, even $300, and allows you the option of including an unlimited data plan with any GSM or with Verizon, I, I guarantee you that they will move an ample amount of units. Now, in regards to the accessibility versus the iPad, that's where the question is going to be. Is it going to be easily accessible in terms of learning curve? Because that's one thing. The iPad, you can give it to a 5-year-old, a 60-year-old, and they'll learn how to use it within five minutes. The learning curve on Android, Android is very accessible, but to get the most out of it, you have to add widgets and apps and stuff. And for those of us that are really tech savvy, it's a really great application and a really great operating system. But to throw that into the casual market like that with a tablet, little sketchy at the moment. But again, the Google tablet is allegedly going to drop on Black Friday, which of course is going to guarantee that it's going to sell a lot and people are going to kill each other for it. I think that the real test is going to be if Apple, if Apple puts out a smaller iPad and Google comes out with this new device, if unlimited data is factored into the Google tablet, will that allow it to compete with both iPads, or is it going to be something where Apple's going to release the smaller iPad and everybody's just going to run roughshod over Google? It's definitely wait and see. I actually wanted to get an iPad. I really like it. It's really innovative, does a lot of cool shit, and it would allow me to read more often just because trying to get out and buy more books, especially with, with my house practically being boxed up, not the... Uh, not the craziest shit to be doing and buying so many books for your shelf. The iPad is definitely great for reading and great for just real casual uh, sofa browsing, so to speak. Definitely going to watch this with a really close eye, and I'll be discussing it further in upcoming episodes for sure. With that said, I'm going to take a quick commercial break, and we're going to talk some movies right after this. The following advertisement is for BornStubbornRadio.com. BornStubbornRadio, 
We like news, we like current events, but we like the fucked up news and the fucked up current events. The Born Southern Radio, we talk about everything in entertainment. We talk about movies. We talk about music. Mostly heavy stuff. Bugs Bunny is an upcoming live action CG movie made uh, by Warner Brothers. They hired the screenwriter for Elf, David Barenbaum. He screen wrote Elf, and this will be an animated project coming out probably later on in 2011. It's going to be live action and CG. You know, I can understand the chipmunks, the smurfs, you know, I'm more than sure there'll probably be a Snorks movie at some point just because they got, they're running out of ideas. In order for a Buzz Bunny movie to even be remotely successful, you have to go back to the core mechanics of the character, that being just the, the zany, wacky humor that's made Bugs Bunny a household name. If you try and modernize it and add all this extra crazy shit, it's not going to work. I actually think the best representation of Bugs Bunny in a live-action atmosphere was Space Jam. Space Jam was the perfect representation of Looney Tunes characters in their element interacting with live-action actors. It was funny where it needed to be. The plot was kind of cool. It, it worked. It worked out well. Going into this live-action CG atmosphere, it's going to be 3D, and if they try and, and change Bugs Bunny in any shape, way, or form, it's going to really ruin the experience for people. I have no issue with them doing this, but I know that after seeing what they did with Looney Tunes back in action, the, 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 the odds of it being successful are really fucking slim. Re- really slim. It's, it's absurd that, that they're actually entertaining this, but you've got to look at it from the standpoint that the Alvin and the Chipmunks movie, both movies, made some decent money. The Smurfs movie definitely going to make some money, especially with the all-star voice cast behind it. In addition to that, you got the Yogi Bear travesty, which as, which as shitty as it looks and as awful as it looks, is going to capture that key demographic that guarantees money, and that's children. Children love Bugs Bunny. Bugs Bunny is one of those characters that is timeless, just like Mickey Mouse. And in doing so, they're going to ensure themselves a nice little payday, because even if the movie makes... $10 million between merchandising, DVDs, and probably any direct-to-video sequels, they'll guarantee themselves a nice little bit of cash for at least a couple of years. So definitely not utterly terrible, but the odds of success, really fucking small for sure. With that said, we're going to bring in another caller. Dark Helmet, you're on the air. Dude, what the fuck? I told you, dude. I told you every week. Every week, I always got a gem for you, live-action CG Bugs Bunny movie that will probably be in 3D. Yeah, probably. Oh, there's so much wrong with that. Like, how are you supposed to have Bugs Bunny, like, let's say it's Bugs versus Elmer Fudd, classic. How are you supposed to have him, This, you know Bugs is going to be CG, and you'll probably have some live-action guy be Elmer Fudd. How is he supposed to tie the gun in a knot? And have it blow up in Elmer's face. You know, classic cartoon stuff. That's what you want, people want to see. They're going to do that, but you know what it is? It's going to be very similar to how they did Roger Rabbit, just a lot more technologically advanced than it was before. In Roger Rabbit, it was seamless, the live-action interaction with the, with, the, with the animated characters and the live actors. I'm more than sure that they're going to tighten that up and they're going to make it work. The problem is 
that the storyline is going to be some shit where Bugs Bunny is going to be digging his way going somewhere. Yeah, this isn't Rancho Cucamonga. And then, of course, live-action person that interacts with Bugs Bunny. Some shit happens. you got to save Bugs. Yada, yada, yada. Human sidekick. Roll the fucking credits. You know that's how it's going to go. So as long as we accept that, we, we'll, we'll all be fine, and we'll know it's going to suck. <laughs> yeah, it just seriously. Next, they'll have a Daffy Duck thing as well. They may as well. Hey, and then they, ooh, they can have real-life Tasmania with Taz, who spins around and goes, hey, and yep, Dude, I guarantee you, if it's going to be a live-action CG Bugs Bunny film, Daffy Duck will be involved. Oh, I'm sure. Because you got to look at it like they're going to throw out little nuggets of, uh, of of information and certain little references to see how how you know Looney Tunes fans react to that, and then based on that, they're just going to try and capitalize on that fan base and just milk it dry. This is this is like I said, this is them dipping their toes in the water and seeing how it works. What what's next? Porky Pig, and then he's like call it Babe Four. Dude, let me tell you something. It's gotten to the point where this is what's happening. It's Hollywood's grasp at straws. I told you, you got, this, you got a Smurfs movie, you got a Yogi Bear movie, you got a Bugs Bunny movie. I'm more than sure there'll be a Snorks movie. There'll be a fucking... Dude, you're getting a live-action Tinkerbell flick. What does that tell you? You shouldn't be surprised. I know. With Hollywood, they'll pull out anything. Anything. It's out of their... Who knows? They'll have Cal there in the movie. Don't ask Cal. Don't ask Cal. They'll have it. Look, you're getting a movie about Battleship. Okay? That's, that's, that's like me filming a documentary on diarrhea. There's going to be a movie about the Magic 8-Ball you said it several shows ago. I mean, come on. That's right. That's right. That's what I'm saying. This is, this is how – this is going to be the trend – for at minimum the next three years. It's going to be graphic novels adapted as films, comic book characters adapted as films, old stuff from our childhood adapted as film, and that's going to be the medium. To think that the only remotely original movie as of late was, and, you know, I'm not going to use Scott Pilgrim because Scott Pilgrim was based on a graphic novel. I'm not going to use The Expendables because it's just Sylvester Stallone trying to get paid. I will cite Inception as a good example of something totally fucking random that made a shitload of money. Yeah, that, that's about it. Otherwise, they're going to say, like, people are sitting here like, Candyland, shoots and ladders, but you have to make it... But of course, with everything being dark now, it's going to be dark adult shoots and ladders. You're going to go yep. up the ladder or you're going to get shot down the chute or some stupid shit like that. Seriously. But I'm sorry, but I'll have an extreme, you slide, you die, some, something. Oh, yeah, it's going to be crazy. It's, it, this, is, this is how it's going to be, like I said, this is going to be the trend now for the next two or three years until they rape and pillage every aspect of any creative juices left in, in a certain genre. It's happening already with comic book movies. It's happening already. There's already people talking about that comic book movies are on their last legs. Why? Because so many of them are coming out in succession. You, gotta, you have to give yourself a bit of a window because that's what's happening. And, and I'm actually going to elaborate on that further 
later on in the movie segment in regards to John Favreau and Marvel. So you'll see what I'm talking about with that. I may have to call back. You got it, brother. Thanks for your call. All right, peace. Later. Well, you know, the Looney Tunes, Bugs Bunny movie, just the icing on the cake. Empire Online received confirmation today from Judge Dredd producers Andrew McDonald and Alan Rach that Carl Urban has been cast as Judge Dredd. McDonald had the following to say about the film. The main thing about Dredd is that it's a fantastic comic that was completely messed up 20 years ago. Our idea is to make a very hard, R-rated, gritty, realistic movie of Dredd in Mega City. So we've got to get the tone right. He's not going to take off his helmet. His bike is going to feel real. He's going to hit people, and it's going to feel real. There's been a change in comic book movies. They were treated unseriously, and now they're treated seriously. Pete Travis, who's at Vantage Point, is directing the movie, and they're going to start filming in Johannesburg, South Africa, later this year. The team behind District 9 will also be working on Judge Dredd. Not the worst thing. We haven't heard Judge Dredd come up in ages. Carl Urban is a good actor. One thing that actually made me look forward to this is the fact that they're acknowledging that it will be an R-rated film. Here's what's going to happen. It's going to be R-rated. It's not going to do that well because of the R rating, but people are going to feel that it is the most accurate depiction of the character. It happens with Punisher Warzone. And, you know, that, that's how it is. That's what you've got to expect. R rating, not as successful unless word of mouth helps, and that's what's going to actually get people's attention. The fact that it's going to be a hard R movie and it's going to be true to the book. Again, it's going to be successful on those, on those merits alone, but in terms of mainstream appeal, it's not. Just because Judge Dredd, again, is a, is a B-level character, so to speak, even C-level. Only certain real diehard comic fans really know Judge Dredd. And when you mention Judge Dredd now, you think of the fucking Stallone movie, and it makes you want to throw up in your mouth. Shit, that's what I think of. I think of fucking Rob Schneider imitating Judgment. I just want to jump through the screen, kick Rob Schneider in the face, and drain fucking Stallone's veins that are fucking ginormous garden hose-looking shits that he has in this movie. It's absurd. And then you've got Diane Lane in there, who's a great actress. It's like, wow, you really needed a paycheck for that movie. And Armand Asante and the giant robot. Ugh, ugh. Judge Dredd would make a great coaster for this fucking Rockstar energy drink I'm drinking now. That's what it would be. Now, X-Men first class casting news. There's been a shitload of casting news this week. There, let me tell you, I think everybody and their mother is an X-Men first class because I, while I have a feeling it's going to be good, I think that by cramming it with so many young actors, it's going to detra detract from the fact that it's just another X-Men movie. It's very strange. I, so many characters that they're throwing in are true and, and great from a comic standpoint, but in terms of execution on film, you're going to have way too many characters that you're going to try and make people connect with, and I see it just being something that it, it, it has a, a small portion of it that's destined for failure. First off, Jason Fleming, who was in Clash of the Titans and Kick-Ass, has joined the cast of X-Men. He's going to be playing Nightcrawler's father, Azazel. Um... Azazel, for those of you that don't know, is um, he's a leader of a mutant race that looks like demons. Uh, Fleming said the character will need a lot of makeup and will have a tail. Um, there are rumors that Nightcrawler wasn't going to be in this film, but he may be appearing in this film as well. Again, no problem with that. 
it's a character from typical X-Men continuity. I'm not sure how well people are going to connect with the character since he's only coming out, he's only came out recently in regards to Origins for Nightcrawler. So the fact that they're acknowledging that is definitely a step in the right direction. This particular bit of news that I didn't like from the casting is that Oliver Platt is the latest addition. He will be playing the Man in Black, a role that appears to have been created specifically for the movie. A Man in Black. What, you know, like Will Smith Men in Black? Uh, black Tom Cassidy Black? Like, like, I don't understand why Oliver Platt is being tossed in this movie and his character is being known as the Man in Black. It's very strange. Until I get some more info on it, I'm really just a little bit surprised that they threw Oliver Platt of all actors into this movie. He must need a check or something. Platt joins Rose Byrne, who's going to be playing Moria McTaggart. James McAvoy, of course, is playing Professor X. Michael Fassbender is playing Magneto. Um, Alice Eve, Kevin Bacon, Caleb Landry-Jones, uh, Jason Fleming. The only person who hasn't been cast yet is Scott Summers, a.k.a. Cyclops. In addition to that, Morgan Lilly from 2012 has joined the cast. She's going to be playing a young Mystique as well, so you've got a young Mystique in there. In addition to that, January Jones, according to Superhero Hype, is being cast to play Emma Frost, a.k.a. the White Queen. So nice, 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 huge cast in there. They've got a couple of really good A-listers in there and a couple of young talents because they can pay peanuts. Um, X-Men First Class will be coming out June 3rd, 2011. Oh, I forgot about this. I missed one. Zoe Kravitz also. She will be playing the role of Angel Salvador, a.k.a. Tempest. The Tempest character created by Grant Morrison debuted in X-Men number 118. X-Men has wings that can vibrate. She can lay eggs, which, which I don't know what the fuck that can do. And she can also vomit up acidic substances. So you basically got a giant chicken that can vibrate and lay eggs and also vomit. It sounds like a toy that you could buy in the fucking 80s. To think that that's a mutant... Uh, and such a new character, too, that they're throwing into X-Men First Class... Again, uh, just a, an, over, an overuse of so many characters is going to detract from the film, but we'll leave it at that. We'll see what happens. Of course, we're going to talk some box office totals because I'm more than sure many of you had a lot of what-the-fucks when you looked at them. Of course, number one this week was The Expendables, $35 million. It is the 25th largest R-rated opening of all time. The film had a budget of $82 million and made $35 million the first weekend. Number two was Eat, Pray, Love. I'm looking forward to the, pre to the prequel, Eat, Love, Fuck. I'd really like to see that because I can't even believe, I can't believe that it beat out Scott Pilgrim to the point where Scott Pilgrim placed fifth. Fifth. A movie that actually had a, 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 a good advertising campaign, had a good fan base behind it, really positive feedback placed fifth. The other guys placed third, $118 million. It's made $70.5 million already on a $100 million budget. Inception, still up there. Top four, $11.4 million. It's made $248.6 million on a budget of $150 million. It's the fifth highest grossing film of the year. Scott Pilgrim, of course, made $10.5 million. The film opened in 2,818 theaters. It had a budget of $60 million. Really looking like a bomb if they don't start recouping that money right away. Despicable Me, number six, 
$6.8 million. It's made $222 million on a $69 million budget. Step Up 3D, 6.6. Number seven, the film has made $29.6 million on a $30 million budget. Definitely successful. It'll probably break the $30 million budget and start becoming profitable within the next two weeks for sure. Angelina Jolie Salt dropped to number eight. $103.6 million on a $110 million budget. Not totally successful, but if you start factoring in international gross numbers and DVD and Blu-ray, I'm more than sure it's going to become quite profitable. Dinner for Schmucks dropped to number nine, $6.3 million. $58.8 million had a budget of 69. Cats and Dogs is number 10, $4.1 million, $31.5 million gross, Total budget of $85 million. Oh, man. You know, the thing that bugs me out here is the fact that Eat, Pray, Love, which is totally geared towards women, really beat out a movie that, was, that had a really safe rating and a really easily accessible storyline in Scott Pilgrim, and that Scott Pilgrim couldn't even defeat Inception, which has been out for a while now. How many people haven't seen that shit yet? I mean, I haven't seen it, but it's not on my I want to go and plunk down $20 to see this type of a deal. You know, I want to see Scott Pilgrim and I want to see The Expendables, but I really was expecting either The Expendables at number one and Pilgrim at two or Pilgrim at one and Expendables at two, but placing fifth, oof, a little shocking for, a little shocking for sure. Um... Ant is calling back in. I'm, I'm assuming he wants to discuss the Scott Pilgrim situation. Let me bring him back in. Yeah, what do you got? What do you got, dude? Uh, uh, well, uh, I pretty much just got to say that The Expendables, I understand perfectly why it would be number one. I mean, it's kind of obvious that the cast that it had listed for it was just like everyone wants to see at least one or two of the actors. But, like, I'm going to put in my little opinion about the movie itself. Was that just, like, I was looking forward to seeing Mickey Rourke as well, and he really kind of wasn't in the movie. And, in fact, half the cast wasn't even in half the movie. So, like, you go in there and you watch the movie and you're bored off your ass for half the movie. Uh, well, me and the five people I went to see it with were bored because half it was just Mickey Rourke talking about things we don't even know about and don't even care about. So it's like I can't see people going to that movie more than once, like going back for repeated viewings. And, right. like, I can, see, I can see Scott Pilgrim being, like, a repeated viewing thing because, like, I know that... In, in my personal group, we had some people that couldn't make it to, to our first showing, so I'm going to go and bring it to bring a few other people to come see it next time, and then I'll be able to see it a third time. So it's like I can see that it making more money over time as word gets out and <clears throat> as more people actually think about seeing it and hearing about the story and playing the game and all that stuff. Like It has more, more revenues of, of gathering interest, more avenues, I mean, than, than like the Expendables and Eat, Pray, Love I'd never even heard of until it came out in theaters. I was, I'm, I'm just wondering how the hell that could have made anywhere near as much as it did. I'll tell you how that movie made money. Number one, it's based on a book that's based on a true story. Number two, the book was, you know, quoted by Oprah as being great, and the minute that Oprah says something is good, everybody jumps on the bandwagon, says it's awesome. Then what happens, Hollywood takes notice. They go, oh, everybody liked the book. Let's make a movie. Same shit happens with Tyler Perry films. Same shit happens with James Patterson books, which they're doing, you know, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, same shit. Basically, the way it works is 
you take a movie like The Expendables. It's an it's it's an hour and a half. You know, it's it, it's basically an hour and a half of steroids. Let, let's just look at it for what it is. It's an hour and a half of, te- of testosterone-fueled rage. Basically, you're going to go in there, and you're going to come out with a beard. Because that, that's, that's what it's geared towards. It's like, it's like Rocky films. You, you can meet 20 people that don't like Rocky movies, but they'll watch them because it's just, it's just raw. It's just, it's just something you can connect with. The Expendables capitalized on the fact that so many people were excited to see so many action heroes together at the same time. You know, that, that alone is a huge selling point. Like, imagine, it's like, holy shit, Stallone and Schwarzenegger on the screen, even if it's together? That's, the, that's how they get you. They got you basically on the premise that you're getting to see all these guys who collectively have really great action flicks and really shitty ones all under one banner collectively. And, of course... Like you said, some people are definitely going to be swept under the rug. Guys like Mickey Rourke's character, you know, Bruce Willis's character to an extent. Very brief, but it succeeded in terms of just using the combination of those actors to make money. It sold people on that. Yeah, well, like, like I'm, I'm thinking, I was just thinking about it right now. I was, I was looking at the numbers, and I've been laughing about Vampires Suck all day. They just get off the Expendables. Like, Vampires Suck, I can't pretty much, like, Cans on the shelf on Rotten Tomatoes, 0%. I'd never even seen a movie get that kind of rating on Rotten Tomatoes. And then I checked the, the uh, box office numbers, and it's number like 14 or 15. And I'm thinking, all right, everyone's heard of Twilight. Everyone's heard of, of vampires and stuff. And, and a lot of people like spoofs and stuff. And there's still a crowd that likes Meet the Spartans and scary movie type things. So I'm like, maybe that will actually make some money. And here, it didn't gather any crowd. It didn't make any money, even though I heard every teenager in the neighborhood talking about how they wanted to see it. So I'm like, how did Vampire Suck not make any money and Scott Pilgrim not make any money? But then you have, like, the other, like other things like this, like number three, number four, even number, like, ten, even, in, in like, Inception still making money. I know it's a great movie, but, like, there's, there's some movies that just are continuing to make money and then other things that I, could, I would assume should make, should make something and just, just don't. Like, Vampire Suck, I would assume would have made at least something. Well, you know, yeah, I know that I wouldn't. I wouldn't have seen it myself, and I, I know there was a crowd that would have seen it, but nobody did. And that just like, I would have liked to have seen that push, like, push at least cats and dogs out of the theater. Well, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen this weekend, and you're probably not going to like what you're going to hear. The box office totals this weekend will probably be The Expendables, Eat, Pray, Love, The Other Guys, Inception, and Piranha 3D. Oh, God, I forgot, about, I forgot about the other guys in Piranha 3D. Uh, let, me, let me tell you why that happens. You have to look at the way they market it. Scott Pilgrim, based on a graphic novel, critically acclaimed, perfectly executed, but nobody, like Michael Sarah, is good as Scott Pilgrim, and he's good at that, he's good at being awkward, but he's not, he can't carry a movie by himself. Like, you know how many yeah, people see him, how many people look at him and go, God, I fucking hate that guy. And just on yeah. that alone, on that premise alone, they won't see the movie. Not thinking, because I don't like him either. I think he's fucking bland. But you know what? I, I want to see the movie because it looks cool. So I'd look past that because I'm a little bit more open-minded. But most people, ugh, fuck that guy. He sucks. Will Farrell Will Ferrell screaming for 20 minutes 
will always make, make people buy tickets. Guaranteed. <laughs> Inception, critically acclaimed. You knew it was going to happen. Eat, pray, love, preying on that estrogen. You knew that was going to happen. The Expendables, dude, the marketing campaign, they didn't even have to show you the movie. <laughs> they just showed you the cast and shit blowing up. And that was it. <laughs> and, and millions of guys collectively, uh, collectively went, fuck yeah, dude. I need to go see that shit. Because that's how it is. That's the kind of movie you go with your boys and see. You're like, oh, oh, shit, yeah. Scott Pilgrim, you go, you see it. You, gotta, you got the one kid in the back reading the graphic novel before the movie starts, eating some popcorn that he has in his fucking, in his fucking messenger bag. You, you know the crowds that are going to be in certain movies, and some crowds are just larger than others. Yeah, I understand that. Like, I'm just hoping to get that Scott Pilgrim at least moves up within the next couple of weeks, and I, I'm pretty sure that property is going to be like, oh, it's going to be the next snakes, snakes in the Plane, and it's going to be in 3D. This should make money. I'm assuming that's what's going to happen with Planet 3D. Yep. Snakes, it's going to be snakes on a plane. Look, there's tents, there's, shit getting, there's people getting eaten and killed terribly. Let me tell you, all, here's one scene I'm going to tell you. There is a guy who gets his dick bitten off in 3D and dick chunks fly out of the screen. <laughs> Why would you not want to see that? <laughs> Think about that. Think about it. A, a giant oh fish just ate your yam bag, and the pieces of it fly out in 3D. How do you not want to see that? You see what I'm saying? Like, that's how they market the shit. Uh, that's your marketing. Just, your marketing. I'm just, look, before, before, you, before you finish, your marketing isn't Ramona Flowers and Michael Sarah's really bad perm. Your marketing is... Chris Evans punching Michael Sarah in the face and saying something funny. That's your marketing. And not only that, that's not enough. You needed more, you needed a, a stronger push, like based on the critically acclaimed comic book. Something, something more than, you know, Comic-Con tweets and people say, oh, it's going to be awesome. You needed more than that. And the same, yeah, trailer I... of, uh, the same trailer of him showing the picture of, do you know a girl that looks like this? That's not enough to get my interest. If I were a casual film goer that knew nothing about comics, I'd be like, ugh, what is this, like 20, like, like fucking summer, like summertime? Like fucking Napoleon Dynamite, like that? I wouldn't want to see that. The marketing campaign, while it was okay, it wasn't enough to engage the casual fan. Yeah, it's true. Like, even if you look back on all the trailers, they, they did throw in, like, more action than you could possibly even... Like, like I, just, just the whole thought that the trailer said seven evil exes and then showed all the action from those scenes. I'm like, what got me and everyone that, that I know interested in it, even if they didn't read the comics, was the, the fact that there was going to be at least seven action scenes. And it's yep. like, the, the Expendables, now, now that I've seen it, there was only three action scenes. Yeah, so but like, you know I'm what like, I got more I got more out of Scott Pilgrim, and, but then again, people who haven't seen those movies wouldn't, wouldn't know that. Exactly. Not only that, but, you know, Scott Pilgrim is getting wireframe choreography, wire foo, and people like that. It's cool. But the Expendables, dude, it, it's, like, it's like Chuck Norris on screen. It's like you watch it, and, and, and you come out with chest hair and a beard. You, you, you hit puberty watching the Expendables. Like, that's how they're trying to market. It's like, look, man, this is the manliest fucking movie ever. Ever. There's no award-winning dialogue. 
there's tits, there's blood and gore, and shit getting blown up. What guy doesn't want to see that? Same shit with, yeah. with, with Piranha. Piranha's going to be hot chicks. They got a couple of porn stars in there. They got, um, they got, a, couple of, they got a couple of, you know, nice-looking girls in there that, that'll probably be naked a couple of times in the film. And then you got giant animated fish eating people in humorous ways. You got Doc Brown in there. You got Christopher Lloyd in that movie. <laughs> what does that tell you? Yeah. And it doesn't really... Well, it actually helps a lot that now they're making the new Back to the Future uh, Blu-rays, and now they're putting Back to the Future on Nick at Night, so anyone that watches Nickelodeon is going to be seeing Back to the Future soon. So you're going to know who Christopher Lloyd is if you don't already know who he is. Exactly. See, you figured it out, dude. You just figured you just figured out your own fucking argument. Yeah. Well, I, I guess my, my my last statement I'm gonna make before I go is just that, like, like when you watch Expendables and you watch Scott Pilgrim, you watch uh, uh, what's it called Piranha. Really, like, what are you taking out of it? Like, after it's it's all said and done, what are you gonna remember later on from the movie? Like, from Expendables, you're gonna remember a lot of explosions and stuff that. You might get confused with other movies over time. Like you'll, you'll think of a, of an action scene that might have been in like Transporter or something like that. And think Dude, that you want to know what I'm gonna remember? What I'm gonna remember from Piranha 3D? Dick chunks. <laughs> All right. That I just told you that. I just told you somebody gets their dick bitten off. You're gonna want to see it. Period. True. Period. Because that's that's the juvenileness of the movie. Dude, when you hear the commercials for it on the radio, it's funny, it's bloody, it's hardcore, it's scary. Dick chunks. You know, like, yeah, and then it's like, you know, it, it, you, know it's a, you know it's a steaming pile of shit, but it's a steaming pile of shit that you want to see come out of an ass. <laughs> That's it. I have nothing else to say to that. You just blew my mind with that. There you go. All right, dude. All right, see you later, man. Later. Click, what do you got? Um, take a wild guess. Oh, I'm more than sure you want to discuss the Scott Pilgrim box office situation, considering you went to see both movies. Actually, three movies. I'm, I'm going to talk on exception, too, because... Well, well, well before, you do that, before you do that, I will say, I am going to review The Expendables, and my review will be akin to growing facial hair. So, yes, I will be reviewing that. I'm not going to spoil it. I'm not going to spoil it. (laughs) No, I know. I know you won't, but I'm just letting them know so they they can be on the lookout for it. Gotcha. But it's like, this is no hope for Hollywood anymore. Because I'm like, Inception was a good movie. It was a decent movie. It's not the fucking end-all, be-all movie that everybody's making it out to be. It's not fucking deep. There's no existentialism in the fucking movie. It had a decent um, premise of, you know, trying to, you know, plant a seed of thought, uh, a a seed in somebody's mind and, you know, make them believe something that wasn't really there. The execution of the movie was fucking retarded. Absolutely fucking retarded. It just so happened that they had some good actors, and it saved the fucking movie. That's it. That's why it was a good movie. If they if they didn't have freaking Leonardo DiCaprio and the rest of that cast there, that movie would be a bag of shit. 
Okay. Because the whole concept was stupid. The action was nothing special. The Expendables, fantastic from the standpoint of everybody that was in it. The movie itself was utter trash. The, the okay. big scene that everybody wanted to see, Stallone and, and Schwarzenegger at the same time, ah. it's like the worst scene in the movie. <laughs> and you got Bruce Willis threatening Sylvester Stallone, which while Sylvester Stallone is old as shit, he would fucking stuff Bruce Willis up his own ass. Yeah, because the, I, the I dude understand was that. ripped in the movie. I'm like... You guys are getting in Sylvester Stallone's face and threatening him. I'm like, really? Yeah, but, you know, but you know what it is? I, I saw you actually say that, and I'll tell you what it is. <clears throat> There's zero, zero, zero remote interest in the plot for this movie. That's why when, you were, when, when, you're, when you're raging about it, I understand from a rational standpoint why you'd be frustrated because you're watching the movie as, as somebody who's just a film goer. See, that's what happens. We watch so much shit that we start looking at the good, the bad, and the ugly side of things. Most Dude, I can shit on it from an irrational standpoint. Thank you. But both people are going at it. Ralph Lundgren. People are going in there and they're going, holy shit, it's Bruce Willis on the same screen as Schwarzenegger. And you know what I'm saying? Like, they're looking at it. It's almost on, on borderline fanboyism. That's how they're watching yes, it this. Is. It is fanboyism, but it lets the fanboys down. You got a fight scene of Dolph Lundgren versus Jet Li. Why the fuck did this fight last more than 30 seconds, and why did Jet Li almost lose it? Ah. That's a fucking bag of shit. Because I don't care if you're fucking Rocky for Dolph Lundgren. You're getting your ass beat to the ground by Jet Li. Well, I got a funny story for that, and I'll tell you about that after. I'll, I'll tell I'll tell the the audience after that, but again I understand. But you know what it is? They wanted to acknowledge the strengths of each actor, and you know there were going to be face-offs. Some face-offs were going to be more overmatched than others. And I'll tell you why the Lundgren and the Lundgren and, and Jet Li scene went the way it did in the next bit of news I share with you guys. And you're going to be like, oh shit! Like, like there there there's reasonings for that, and the rationale that, that Stallone used, you're going to be like, what the fuck? But you know what it is, dude? Again, this is 90 minutes of shit getting blown up. Yes, and when things really started blowing up, that was like the one really good action scene because the fight between Stone Cold and Stallone, absolutely fantastic. Just like they said in the trailer, he's like, what happened to you? I got my ass kicked. Yeah, he got his fucking ass kicked. And as we know, he almost got his neck broken by Austin as well. That yep. fight was, was was worth the price of admission. And oh, fucking yeah. Terry, Terry Crews with his favorite gun, fantastic. I could watch that all day. Exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm shitting on the movie. I'll probably buy the shit on Blu-ray. You know they're going to cram a lot of shit in there, dude. You know that. Like, like there, there's good and bad to everything. But the, but the good outweighs the bad, and it's basically, like I said, the fanboyism that's going to push it to make more money. The necessity for action junkies to see 
all their favorite dudes facing off against all their other favorite dudes, even if it's for 30 seconds. But that's the thing. The good doesn't outweigh the bad. I mean, you take it from the standpoint of how Stallone tried to sell this. As an action movie, minus the main, you know, big action scene, as an action movie, it actually fails. As a buddy movie, it fails. Because the real buddy movie part was freaking Stallone and Statham. And they had, really, they had lousy chemistry with each other. The best, the best scene in the movie as far as non-action was Stallone and Rourke, because that was actually just a good scene. That was the one yeah. good scene in the whole movie. And then you have, you, you mentioned explosions and tits. There were no tits in the movie. Giselle Eady, hot chick, but they somehow managed to make it look like shit, which prob, 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 probably had to do with, I'm stuttering now, fucking Stone Cold knock her the fuck out. Charisma Carpenter, hot as shit. Still no tits. So, yeah, but, but they're, selling you, they're selling you on the premise of the attractive women, whether they're naked or not. See, Piranha's selling you on nudity. Expendables is selling you on violence. So, you know, the girls are in there just for, oh, look, it's Charisma Carpenter. Hey, she looks pretty good. But it's more so about shit getting blown up. The marketing campaign is like, watch your favorite action stars from when you were a kid blow shit up. And you know what? We, we as, as fans, you know, most of us were fucking sheep. And we bought right into it. Oh, this is going to be fucking awesome. Like, I guarantee you, I'll go see it. It was awesome. But my level of excitement won't be on the same level it was when I was looking forward to the shit coming out. And I agree. And you'll feel even more that way if you see Scott Pilgrim which, believe it or not, had much better action than the Expendables. No, there was nothing really blowing up, but the fights are more believable. Oh, yeah, well, they had, uh, they had choreography from guys that have choreographed Jet Li movies, and they work really close, you know, like, like they work really tight together. Like, those punches are really close to connecting. So I can understand the fight choreography being on point, you know, and, and shit like that works. And, but again, it's the audience you're catering to. Scott Pilgrim, the marketing campaign catered to the, 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 the geek, the fanboy. Like, in terms of mainstream appeal, it was okay, but Michael Sarah just doesn't have the chops to carry a movie as a lead. But that's, that's another thing, though. You talk about bad promotion. How is flooding Facebook and MySpace and Twitter with Scott Pilgrim for like a hot month and a half before the movie came out, bad promotion. I mean, everywhere I went online, I saw Scott Pilgrim, and that's really the audience it was going for, the people who are online. And you can't, you can't buy better promotion than that. You can't, but you and know what it is? The movie's it's still the, doing shitty. Because it's the receptiveness to that promotion. Think about it. it like, I, like I said to Ed, Michael Sarah is a great example. Most people think he's fucking bullshit. Honestly. So, you know, it's like, oh, it's another Michael Sarah movie. You know, they're, they're probably thinking it's like fucking, what the hell is it? What the, what the hell is the movie with him and the fat kid? Superbad. Yeah, you know, they're thinking it's like Superbad or like shit like that or like 99 Days of Summer. You know, they're thinking it's bullshit like that, and they're not looking at it like, wow, this may actually be a really good comic flick. It's the same thing with Kick-Ass. Kick-Ass made a lot of money, but the demographic that, uh, that gravitated towards that 
were the hardcore comic fans. And then the mainstreamers came aboard just because you had a 12-year-old girl saying cunt. You know, they gave a fuck about that. That got attention. Like, oh, I got to see this shit. You know, Scott, Scott Pilgrim is, the, you know, it's, wi- it's wizard with fights. That, you know, that's how they're looking at it. Oh, it's just another fucking video game comic book movie, blah, blah. You, you know, you're not capturing the right people, and it's only because most people don't give a fuck about Michael Sarah. You could have a fucking Vince Vaughn as Scott Pilgrim, and it would have made the same amount of money because people think he's a bag of shit, too. But the only other person that could have played Scott Pilgrim other than Michael Sarah would have been the dude from Zombieland because Scott Pilgrim is bullshit. Exactly, but again... Nobody gives a fuck about that. You, in terms of marketability, you can't just market it on a good graphic novel and good fight scenes. There has to be something extra, some sort of a connection. The Expendables succeeded because it marketed shit blowing up, and it catered to our inner fanboy. Scott Pilgrim's fanboys are based on fanboys that read books. The Expendables fanboys are a far larger demographic because they're motherfuckers that watched all those action flicks on Cinemax. I'm, I'm dying that you just said Cinemax. Because it, it is. Let, let me tell you something. You turn, you turn on Cinemax. You turn on Cinemax right now, probably, and at like 145 or maybe 245, they'll be giving Operation Scorpion with the Expendables Dolph Lundgren. Come on, man. Or they'll be giving Crank. Or they'll be giving Transporter Three. Or they'll be giving Get Carter. Or they'll be giving Death Race. Dude, they're catering to the motherfuckers who will thumb through the channels and go, oh, shit, Death Race is on. I've seen it 800 times, but fuck it, I'll see it again. That's what it is. That's exactly the the market that they got. And you know what? We all fell for it. We all got punked by Stallone. Stallone's like, I'm just going to make a movie where I stare in the camera with my painted-on mustache and blow shit up. And fucking guys are going to come and watch it. And, and that's what happens, dude. That's what happens. That's the demographic that you got. You got the hardcore, testosterone-obsessed demographic. You got the demographic that walks around in wife beaters and may not think twice about slapping their girlfriend. So basically the cast of Jersey Shore. Yeah, pretty, dude, I guarantee you if you, were to, if you were to call up the situation and say, dude, did you watch The Expendables? Yo, bro, that fucking movie was fucking sick, man. It was fucking awesome. Stallone and was all better. If you watch Pilgrim, he goes, "What the fuck is that shit?" Exactly, because they just can't connect. You can't connect with the film because it's not your cup of tea. It's just that's what happens, dude. Scott Pilgrim, Scott Pilgrim is gonna get fucking overshadowed by Piranha 3D. I'm telling y'all, and I'm letting you guys know now in advance. So when you guys hear me talk about box office totals next week, you're not shocked. I'm not, I'm not shocked anymore because I've already seen what happened to Scott Pilgrim. There you go. I mean, and saying he, he thinks word of mouth is going to make it do better. Let's let's really say facts. How a movie does in its first week is pretty much how it does it's throughout its life in the box office. That That's true, but, I mean, don't get me wrong, the word of mouth may help it, and, you know, you see people on Twitter like, yo, go see Scott Pilgrim, go see Scott Pilgrim. Like, I see it, and I see the tweets on a daily basis. I'm more than sure the word of mouth is going to help it, but in terms of capturing the number one spot, unless all of a sudden there's a huge turnaround, it's not going to happen. 
And sadly, I, I really think that's what's going to happen. Yep. Well, the only other, that, only other thing I have is that I actually want to see a movie in 3D now. Which is? I'm not going to lie. I mean, I might not pay for it, but I want to see Jackass 3D. I've seen okay. the trailer in about three different theaters, and every yep. time I see it, the entire theater busts out laughing. And here's the it's scary part. Nothing else, it may it may be number one when it comes out. If for nothing else, for the high five skit, everybody dies when that shit comes on. Dude, they're gonna make Jackass is Jackass tra- transcends all boundaries of sanity. Like usually, you watch shit and you go, "Dude, this is too stupid for even me to watch," but. It transcends that because it's so stupid, and our desire to see people get hurt outweighs our common sense. Like, I want to see Johnny Knoxville get hit by a fucking car. Will I pay $16 for it? Maybe not. But I want to see this shit because I'm a fucking psychopath. (laughs) It's the way shit works. It is what it is. I will will honestly be happy to see that movie succeed. Yeah, there you go. Well, you know what? We got we got 25 minutes left, and I just want to run through this last bit of stuff. All right, man. I'll talk to you later. All right, brother. Thanks. All right. Arlen Scarpetta from Brotherhood and Friday the 13th has, spot, has signed on for the the number five NAL, a.k.a. Final Destination. The fifth movie in the Final Destination franchise. Wasn't the last movie called The Final Destination that you're coming out with a fifth one? And this is his explanation. I love actors that try to sell you on the concept of a movie being utter bullshit. I think the last movie was just death, Escarpetta said. It was death, 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 which is fine, because that's what people want to see. But this time, we're going to give them a little bit of everything. Good story, great director, it's going to be good. I think that what we're going to do really well this time around is go back to the beginning, the story, the plot, and a lot of stuff is just going to be a lot more deep, and, a lot, and the subject matter is going to be more deep. It's due for release August 25th, 2011. Let me tell you something, Arlen Escarpetta. You're full of shit, and you're selling this movie because you need a paycheck. The Final Destination films are very formulaic. Person dodges death. Death gets pissed off. Goes to great lengths to kill the person, killing their friends, their family members, their brothers, their sisters, their teachers, their cousins, until at the end the person gets killed, and if they escape death, it sets up the sequel. Very formulaic, very simple, very mindless. There is nothing fucking deep about it. And the fact that you're acknowledging that it's deep makes you a bigger asshole than the fuckers that are making this movie because you're actually believing the bullshit they're feeding you. Five Null Destination, the number five, N-A-L Destination, Five Null, is going to be just as stupid and just as absurd as all the previous movies in the series. On top of that, it'll probably be 3D, it'll probably make a decent amount of money, and they'll probably make a sixth one to boot and call that one Six Null Destination because that's what it's come down to. People pay a decent amount of money, the budgets are low, the actors are paid peanuts, and if they make a couple of dollars and they sell a couple of Blu-rays, they can, they'll, they'll, they'll keep cranking them out. It's happened with Saw. It happened with Hostel for a little bit. It's just the way shit is. But the fact that you're selling people on your bullshit is what annoys me the most. Now in regards to The Expendables. 
all of you guys and Slick referenced that, you know, the Jet Li and Dolph Lundgren fight and the way it went down and how it should have gone a certain way. I'll explain to you guys what happened. When people were looking forward to the Expendables, they were looking forward to seeing guys like Van Damme and Seagal. And, of course, they weren't in the movie. Let's discuss why. When they were asking about Van Damme and Steven Seagal, Stallone answered the question recently. He said, I wanted to set Van Damme against Jet Li. But he stated he didn't want to lose to Jet. He didn't think that was cool. But that's why it would be cool to have Jean-Claude beaten by the other man. Hey, we could have had a rematch. But Steven Seagal and Van Damme, they weren't really into our gallows humor. You see, that's why they paired Jet Li with Dolph Lundgren. Dolph Lundgren... Know, he was the muscle, so they wanted to have him fight another, a fellow martial artist. Jet Li fit the bill. Van Damme versus Jet Li would have been ridiculous just because it would have been different. And, it would have been, and it's true. You want, you, you know, the, seeing Van Damme lose would have definitely freaked people out. It's like seeing Steven Seagal lose. You don't expect it because that's what you've been spoiled to expect with every other shitty action movie that they crank out. The fact is that it's really upsetting that he really didn't want to lose to Jet Li. Jet Li is a higher caliber martial artist. He may not be the most dialogue-intensive actor, but in terms of martial arts skill, he can whoop practically everybody's ass in that movie, excluding Dolph Lundgren, who's a pretty decent martial artist, and even Randy Couture to an extent. Jet Li will fuck anybody up. So Van Damme fighting Jet Li, Van Damme is a ballerina that, can, that knows a little bit of karate. Let's fucking call it like it is. You needed to lose to Jet Li, and the fact that you didn't want to do a movie that guaranteed you a nice chunk of paper because you didn't want to lose to Jet Li, it's not a real fight, you fucking dope. And Steven Seagal, he, he was probably too busy training Anderson Silva to get punched in the face by Chael Sonnen, so he was probably busy. Honestly, I would have actually brought in Bolo Yang. Bolo Yang would have been awesome to have as a bad guy, and having Jet Li fight Bolo Yang, both martial artists, Bolo's a very imposing dude. It would have looked awesome on screen. But who knows? The Expendables 2 is already being discussed, so we may still get to see something like that in the near future. Last but not least, last three bits of news. First off, the Avengers film, of course. Josh Whedon is directing it. Many of you will you know, probably ask yourselves, wow, Jon Favreau did such a great job with Iron Man, and he did Iron Man 2. Why isn't he doing the Avengers? Here's what happened. John Favreau was supposed to direct it, but apparently Marvel wanted to save some cash. So when Marvel and Favreau negotiated for Iron Man 2, negotiations became difficult because Favreau wanted a raise. Understandable, Iron Man made a lot of money. The deal was eventually done, but when it came time to pick the director for the Avengers, they went with Joss Whedon because he was cheaper. To add to that drama, Favreau and Robert Downey Jr. were disappointed with Iron Man 2 due to Marvel's interference and the fact that they feel Marvel made the film one big infomercial for the Avengers. I have to partially agree with that because there was a little bit of detraction from Iron Man to focus on the Avengers initiative. I honestly think Iron Man 2 had the potential to be even better than one, but a couple of things went astray. Losing, you know, losing um, Terrence Howard definitely kind of fucked it up a little bit. Don Cheetah was good. Terrence Howard kind of had that a little bit better chemistry with Robert Downey Jr. In addition to that, Marvel definitely involved themselves with some of the stuff because 
there are certain little things in Iron Man that you can see that just didn't fit, that you can tell were forked in. So I can understand Favreau's frustration. It's unfortunate that they're going with Joss Whedon and they're saving money because if the movie sucks, Joss Whedon's going to be the one holding the ball. So it's unfortunate that if they went with it as a cost-cutting measure, that they're going to end up hurting the movie if the movie tanks. It's ridiculous. Also, it's been confirmed that Sam Worthington, a.k.a. Rutger Hauer of 2010, will be playing the lead in Dracula Year Zero. The film is set to start shooting in June of 2011. Sam Worthington will play Prince Vlad of Transylvania. Bram Stoker supposedly based the the Dracula character on Vlad, which everybody knows. Sam Worthington as Dracula, as any sort of a Dracula character, definitely not a good look. Sam Worthington is way too pretty. He's way too Australian and far too non-European looking to even attempt to play Dracula in any shape, way, or form. It's like the fucking Dracula from Van Helsing. That's what he's the equivalent to, that guy. Ugh, I would, fuck, they should, have, they should have Sam Worthington play Van Helsing and Rutger Hauer play Dracula, considering that they're both one and the same, the, the past and the present on the same screen. It's, it's really ridiculous that they're trying to go and resurrect Dracula films just to capitalize on the fucking vampire motif that's oh so popular. According to the Heat Vision blog, director Mark Webb and star Andrew Garfield from the upcoming Spider-Man movie are meeting with select actresses to play Peter Parker's love interest in the Spider-Man reboot. The catch is that these actresses are not up for the role of Mary Jane Watson. On the contrary, they're actually possibly going to be either Gwen Stacy, which is Peter Parker's first love, or a new character altogether. This smells like a recipe for disaster. According to the site, the names on the short list are, wow, this chick's name is awful, Imogen Poots, I-M-O-G-E-N Poots, P-O-O-T-S, who was in 28 Weeks Later, and she's also in the Fright Night remake. Also, Ophelia Loverbond, Lily Collins, Teresa Palmer, and Emma Roberts. Mary Elizabeth Weinstead was also considered, but she has since fallen out of the running. So that's what they're going with. Last bit of news to wrap it up, Underworld 4 has a release date, September 23rd, 2011. Kate Beckinsale will return as Celine, but in a limited role. She'll be playing a smaller role in this film that fits with the previous reports, and basically the premise is going to be that she's looking to pass on her duties to one of her daughters. So obviously they're going to, they're going to work with the hybrid characters that resulted from the union of... Uh, the wolf slash vampire hybrid and Celine. So it's definitely going to be interesting to see how that pans out. Um, her being in a limited role, I can see because they're probably looking to pass the torch to continue the franchise. And Kate Beckinsale is probably just tired of wearing the skin tight leather. So passing it on to another young lady to continue the franchise can be really good or really bad. So we'll see how that goes. That's going to wrap up the show for this week. Got to give out a couple of plugs to all the people that support the show. Razorclothing.com, uh, well, Razorclothing.tv, Razor Rob's uh, clothing company, check them out. NortheastWasteland.com, Brandon Bar- BrandonBarron.com, of course, Go Creed Go, um, Austin Creed's website. GiantsFarrow.com, that's Max Geiger's site from Deadliest Warrior. DrinkDocs, DrinkDox.com, that's for Docs Vitamin Water, Dr. Armand Dorian's Vitamin Water Drink. 
from the Deadliest Warrior. Uh, shout out to the GirlGamers.com crew, the Gaming Angels crew. Trina actually sent me a message via Twitter. She got held up, so she couldn't make it this week. That's okay. We'll reschedule. MMAGospel.com. You can check out their show Wednesdays on the Blog Talk Radio Network. I also want to give a shout out to uh, the Wrestle Gamer Show. Uh, they're really trying to get themselves a nice little niche in the Block Talk Radio Network. Uh, look for the Wrestle Gamer Show. I will be putting up a link on the site in the near future. Look them up if you like wrestling and video games mixed together. Definitely a unique presentation for sure, and they're on the Blog Talk Radio Network. Um, MMAValor.com, of course, for always supporting the show. Darksiders.com, working on Darksiders 2. Hopefully we'll be back right before the game is released. You can follow Hayden Dalton's blog. Uh, that's HaydenDalton.wordpress.com. He was one of the uh, creative team members for Darksiders, so check him out. BGNRadio.com, always for supporting the show. BornStubberRadio.com, not only is Blaine working on helping to create My Take Radio 3.0, but he has a pretty kick-ass show as well. Check his show out at BornStubbornRadio.com. 411Mania.com, as always, for their great news. OCRemix.org for their kick-ass video game music. MMA Junkie for bringing all the MMA news that's fit to print. And FilmDrunk.com, of course, got to get a shout-out. With that said, um, I will be putting the link in the chat room for the Making Strides Against Breast Cancer Walk again. If you want to help with that, feel free to submit donations. Um, my fiance is walking in honor of my mom for uh, raising breast cancer awareness. I will be putting the link in the chat and on the site and on the Facebook fan page. So any little bit you can do to help, uh, you know, just help more kids not lose their moms, their sisters, or their significant females in their lives to breast cancer. So definitely check it out as well. With that said, you've just heard My Take Radio episode 56 for Thursday, August 19, 2010. If you need to email me with questions or concerns or if you'd like to be a guest, mtrhost at gmail.com is the email address. If you're on Twitter, you can follow my personal account. It's twitter.com slash akuma25, or you can follow the show account, twitter.com slash mytakeradio. You can also follow MTR staff members on Twitter. You can check out Ant on Twitter. It's AntMTR. You can also follow Slick on Twitter. It's MTRSlick. Andrea MTR for my fiancé, of course, who's on there as well, and, of course, me at mytakeradio. If you're still playing around on MySpace, send a friend request to myspace.com slash mytakeradio. And last but not least, if you're on Facebook, stop by the Facebook fan page. If you're not a fan already, and hit that like button. Help the My Take Radio army grow and continue to spread its ridiculousness and insanity to listeners across the world. Thank you all for listening. I'll catch you guys next week. Peace. Taking us out is going to be Pipes Remix by 7th Epic from ocremix.org.